<clears throat> Are you guys ready? Yes. You all ready for this? Um, <clears throat> welcome to the One Life, One Chance podcast. I'm your host, Toby Morris. Today, I have a very special guest. But before I introduce him, I have my right-hand man here again, my, my brother from another mother, uh, Mr. Derek Green. What up? How many episodes have you done with me so far, you think? I haven't been counting. Over 10. Over 10 so definitely far. Definitely over 10. So during the COVID, Derek's been home from tour as long as we've been home off tour together, and he's been coming on the podcast. It's been wonderful. Because I have nothing else to but do. But now things are opening. <laughs> but welcome to the podcast, Scott Ian. Thank you so much for being here, man. Thanks. Hey, we've been talking about this for so long. Thanks so for happy. being so patient. I know we've been trying to make this like, and then COVID got in the way. And <laughs> yeah. Then, yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for, thanks for being here. How are you doing? Everybody's good? Good. Good. Do you want to see what happened to you today, Derek, or no? No, I'm, I'm all right. Okay. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I'm actually, you know, I, I, I got my last uh, shot. So if I fade off. That's what I was worried about. <laughs> In the interview, then. Uh, yeah. It took me after my second <laughs> shot. I felt just a little. I was like, whatever that day. But the next day, I felt crappy. Mm, I woke up. I just had a low fever like all day. And uh, I, which is fine. I, just sat, I was happy to have it, honestly. Right. Yeah. Chilling. Yeah, I'm gonna be. I'm drinking a lot of water. And I'm, I'm yeah, take so, some naps. Is this the longest you've been home? <laughs> yes, for a long time. For off tour, yeah. Yeah, like haven't I haven't played an Anthrax show since November fifteenth, two thousand nineteen. It was the last show of that album cycle. Wow. Yeah. yeah wow. And uh, we're okay. supposed to play our first show back is this Rock Fest in July in Kadat, Wisconsin. I think I saw and, that. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, they're telling me it's happening. So yeah. how do you so, feel about that? I'm super excited to play. Does it seem like it's unbelievable in a way? Yes, it, I don't. I don't know. I, it's hard yeah. to picture right. twenty, thirty thousand people in a field. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's hard to yeah. imagine, really. Uh, but if it's, I'll be there. If, <laughs> if they right. tell me we're playing, I'm, I'm going. I know. So. I'm seeing so many shows being advertised like every day now. It's great. So I many know. festivals. Yeah, I mean, we just it's exciting. Yeah, we have like a basically a show a month starting in July all the way through November, like one-offs in the states because we're doing all those Wimmer fests. And, oh yeah. Uh, and then Mr. Bungle is going to do Riot oh, Fest now right, in September yeah. in Chicago, and that's uh, a great fest. So uh, you know, I'm I'm super excited. I, I'm I'm like hoping the rug doesn't get pulled out and like yeah. something right, bad right. happens and things get worse and then they're like nope everything's canceled like i'd be yeah not just me but everyone will be very bummed out about that yeah you look good but you've been training you've been working out while you're i've been a lazy i've been seeing you do a lot of hikes and shit like yeah. that though yeah i mean because we where we live it's easy I guess. yeah but uh yeah, i walk a lot no well i got not to get all fucking bummer dude but i started <laughs> like back in when when uh I had to learn all these bungle songs, right, to make that yeah. record. And it's super, super intense thrash metal, like fastest, craziest shit I've ever played in my life. And, uh, and you know, fucking songs are six, seven minutes, 90 changes in a song. Damn. But just super, super intense right hand. Fast, like I said, it's faster shit than I've ever done in my life. And it was uh, intense for months learning that stuff mm. back in... 19 and then we went out and did shows in february of 20 right before covid and we yep. made the record right after that and uh i developed tennis elbow in my right arm oh, wow. from from that like it's a, such a weird lame name tennis elbow <laughs> for considering what i was actually doing to yeah. injure myself playing thrash metal but yeah so the tendon in here is all fucked up and uh and um so i i couldn't i had to stop boxing 
Like, like even now, if I work out, it's I just do legs and abs because anything I do with my right arm now just hurts. Yeah. So I'm going to PT for this, and because uh, I got to play guitar. Yeah. Yeah. And I was supposed to even go get this PRP injection, which is platelet-rich plasma, which I guess is a big thing with athletes. It's wow. Like, where it's they intense. take your own blood and they they inject the plasma from your own blood into the area and it's supposed to help what's going on uh, and, i've heard that um, okay but yeah it's, it it's you like, know yeah. it's just it, you know i'm not supposed to be playing 220 bpm for six minutes straight when you're 56 years old it's just <laughs> you're 56 yeah wow man. no i'm yeah. old yeah. Right, how old am i wow 50 i don't think you're that old three yeah i'll be 50 wow Eight this year? I'm, I can't wow. even do the math oh, right now. Dude. Nice. Thanks. This guy's got a billion your wrinkles, man. Thanks. It's pretty amazing. amazing. Yeah. I think playing Looking music great, and doing yeah. shit you love really keeps you young. I, I just really feel like that, you know? Uh, definitely enjoying myself for a long yeah. time. I, I think it has a lot to do with it. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah. really feel like No, that. absolutely. I think a good balance, you know. You look great for your 55. Okay, so he's turned that's, fifty. That's um, so you, you, so you're from Bayside, Queens. Bayside, Queens. Queens. Wow, Hello. that was where my band played our first show at Club Raw in 1994 on Bill Boulevard. Yes, yeah. So, is there a lot of other bands from Bayside, Queens? No, no. It's so I weird that even, up. even yeah. I mean, I, I moved out. I moved out of Bayside in '86. Okay. I think. Where'd you move to? Forest Hills. Okay. I yeah, got, yeah. I got, uh, but it was a big deal because I was finally out of my mom's apartment. <laughs> I mean, we lived in a small, what was supposed to be a one bedroom, but the one bedroom, my mom, we moved in there like in the seventies, we put a wall in. So my brother and I had, you know, we each had a side, tiny little rooms. And then my mom was in this even tinier little room. And that's, but in 86, I finally had money to get my own apartment. So I found a tiny one bedroom and filled with mice in Forest Hills. But for me, it was wow. a fucking palace because right. yeah. I had my own place for the first time it's in my life. It's the best feeling. But uh, yeah, yeah, Bayside Queens. No, there was no bands. Yeah, um, we, uh, me and uh, Danny Loker. You, you know, we were talking about him today, yeah. man. Yeah, Danny, Danny and I met in high school, and uh, we, you know, we were just into all the same shit. Yeah, and there was a small crew of us. There was like six or seven other guys, maybe. We would all sit at the same lunch table, and my friend David would always bring a little a little boombox in with cassettes, and we would listen to music at lunch, and always wow. try and find some new tape that no one had heard yet like like yeah. he was the dude he was the dude who brought in like van halen first album and had mm -hmm. eruption queued up and put it on and all our jaws dropped because we couldn't even understand what we were listening to and um so that's what you know we just had a crew of us long hair leather jacket dudes who nobody messed with us we sat all the way in one corner of the lunchroom and wow you know, um that's that's how it started with me and danny and then he was in a band called white heat with some guys from Long Island. Yeah. And uh, they would actually play in the city. Like, even back then. Like, I'm talking 79, 80. Wow. Wow. They would... they would this, Danny? Jesus. My age. Okay. Wow. Or a year, maybe a year younger than me. Okay. And uh, they would play in the city. Like, which, being in Queens, you were like, fuck, if you could just play in Manhattan, yeah. you made it. Yeah. You know? And, uh, <laughs> and, um, and I would always say to him, too, because we'd walk to school together every day and walk home from school and... He learned about anthrax in school in like biology class or something. He told me about it, and I said, "That sounds like a good metal band name." Wow! Like when when White Heat breaks up, we'll start a band called Anthrax. You know, White Heat's not going to break up. I'm like, well, when <laughs> someday when White Heat breaks up, well, because we jam, we would hang out every day. We would sit in his house or my house and just jam. Right. 
And uh, well, why he breaks up? Well, finally, a couple months later, they finally broke up. <laughs> and then, and then me and him, like just with some other friends, local dudes, yeah. in, in Bay Terrace and stuff, we jammed one night, July eighteenth, nineteen eighty one, and uh, wow, and we decided to call that Anthrax. Whoa! What drew you to guitar? Like, what was? Why was that your instrument of choice? Um, I saw Pete Townsend on TV when I was a little kid. Like I'm like probably around nine. And uh, I saw him doing his windmill, yeah, which I can't even do right now because it hurts my elbow. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I saw him doing that on TV, and I just thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And wow, I yeah. just bugged my parents for guitar lessons after that. Like, please, oh, so please, please, lessons. get me a guitar, get me a guitar. They wouldn't buy me an electric guitar because um, they were afraid I would play it for a week and then it would collect dust yeah. over you yeah, know, yeah, in the yeah. basement. And uh, so... Uh, this is when we were living on Long Island before my parents divorced and we we moved back to Bayside. I was lived in Bayside as a little little kid, like sixty nine to seventy two. Yeah. Then my dad bought a house on Long Island. We were there for like two years. Then my parents split and we moved right back to Bayside, like right okay. down the street from where we had lived before. Wow. But uh anyway, they they got me an acoustic guitar. So I started like for like six months taking lessons on acoustic and then my teacher like convinced them and said like he's really taking this seriously you know he's mm. he's getting good and that's awesome. and uh it would make his life way easier if he had an electric to play that's on. awesome yeah so my dad took me and we went to some used uh, guitar shop on long island somewhere and and i got a 1972 fender telecaster deluxe in like coffee table brown <laughs> but i always had two humbuckers and man i was so stoked i had a little fender amp and i had a big muff fuzz pedal and uh, Sick. man i was like i was the happiest kid ever what were we listening to what kind of music like what were we listening to then way back then uh a lot of the stuff my parents listened to yeah. in the house they had like i remember the woodstock soundtrack being on a lot as a kid so you know i on that record as my parents were more into like Richie Havens and Joe Cocker, let's say, mm -hmm. off that record. Whereas I really love the Who and like hearing Hendrix on there. And yeah. uh, um, but then even like my my dad was really into well, he, like Simon and Garfunkel, so I'd hear that a lot. Uh, so you know, you can't deny great songwriting. Yeah, totally. And um, uh, my dad was like into the Doobie Brothers yeah. and uh, all kinds of early seventies awesome. stuff. So it was there was good music in the house. Yeah, then yeah, on yeah. my own, like I found Elton John. Around seventy three, ish, mm -hmm. I started like buying his seven inches, and uh, then my parents took me to see Elton John at Nassau Coliseum God, on like yellow, yellow wow, brick road man. tour. In the U.S. Man, some of the radio he was like hot. Like, yeah, so many songs. So Elton John was like my first real Elton John and the Who. That for me, they were the first two bands like I really got into. Yeah, and then I found Kiss and. 75 and that life was, changer that fucking that was it it was that was it was like fine if you were a junkie finding heroin for me wow. it was it was straight to fucking mainline right to my brain let's see hard rock horror comic books everything i loved yeah all like all in one package mm -hmm. wow so you were in high school then when you no that was like i was like 11 years old oh wow yeah Shit. yeah yeah damn yeah wow you were never Huge Kiss fan were you too? Later on in life, I appreciate him. Right, because I remember it was like a huge thing, like people getting like the moon boots. You know what happened? We were the collective. Cards, we were managed by us dolls. and Siv and Orange Valley Millimeter. We managed by Scott McGee. Yeah. Right. And we found out Doc McGee was there, and then Siv got to open up for Kiss at Madison Square Garden. I remember that. So that was like holy shit. That's crazy. That was kind of the connection, yeah. like 
Because I, obviously I knew Kiss growing up and so they, yeah. they were scary. I was like, Siv the scary. band opened yeah. Yeah. for Kiss. Yeah. yeah. How did I not know that? Because Scott McGee was their manager too at the time. Yeah. Was Charlie in the band? Yeah, 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 yeah. How do I not? How did I not know this? <laughs> he was so. Stoked, That's crazy. Man. That's crazy, right? Wow. Yeah, yeah. So that was like, holy shit! Yeah. Wow, amazing. Um, so that so how were you in school? Did you like school? Uh, yeah. You know, for me, school was always a. It was just a, a means to an end. Yeah. I knew if I kept my grades up, I could keep my mom off my back. Yeah. Because it it, it was quickly apparent to me as a kid. If if you're getting good grades, nobody says shit to you. Mm-hmm. So Facts. to me, that was like the secret of life. I, and I found that out at a very early age because, you know, once my parents split, we moved back to Queens. I was going on 12 years old and my mom was working. So she'd leave the house 536 in the morning and she wouldn't get back to like seven at night. So it was just me and my brother, who's three years younger than me. Yeah. And we're just on our own, you know, so I figured mm-hmm. I'm I got to like. I got to take care of shit. I got my brother to worry about as well as I got to keep my mom as happy as possible and keep her off my back because I want to be able to do shit and not be hassled, which meant like hang out with my friends and play music and stay out late. And Mm -hmm. as long as I was getting good grades, she she couldn't say boo, which was, and then, you know, it was to me, that was the easy path. I'd rather study a little more and get good grades than be constantly fighting with my mother. Yeah, Yeah. Like it just seemed like an easier path. And, um, and I was just naturally good in school. I was a math brain, so I oh, just, wow. okay. I just it, I was school was easy like, for was me. Was there a favorite subject that you had? I was terrible at math, man. Fuck. Favorite? Su- well, it was. You know, it always came down to good teachers. True. That's you true. Know, yeah. Like I may not like the subjects. Like I remember, I had a guy. His name was Doctor Blank. And I, <laughs> I, I, I remember I had like a science club, biology class with him, like in high school, and. It's not something I would ever really think I would be into, but he was such a, he was like a good teacher and he was like mm, fun to be in his classroom and he would do cool shit. And um, so, I mean, uh, my favorite class in high school was TV studio. That was, uh, there was a TV studio at Bayside High. Oh, wow. So you'd be able to take that class and like, but, you know, they had old cam, cam, what they called a camcorder, but, you know, it was this giant yeah. thing with wires attached to a tape recorder and they'd let you take that shit out and take it home for the weekend oh wow so we'd like run around the lots by our old our house in bay terrace where the where the shopping center is there in bay terrace most of that was empty lots and and uh so we used to ride our bikes through there and record it and throw fireworks at each other and (laughs) tape it and then we'd bring it in and and mr friedman who that's a whole other story which I'll, i'll get into the little little bit of that and people could find that themselves but we bring, we bring, we go. We made a movie, Mister Friedman. It would just be like us riding around on our bikes throwing firecrackers at each other. <laughs> but Mister Friedman, he, he was like the coolest teacher. He would get you out because you'd be if you were in TV studio, you were automatically part of the AV squad. So okay. like, if some class needed a movie run, you'd go do it, which like, would get you out you. of other classes. <laughs> and Mister Friedman would write you notes to get you out of classes, and you just come hang out at the TV studio and like listen to listen to tapes and stuff. But awesome. later on, this is long after I was out of school, there's a movie a documentary called Capturing the Freedmans, which you should Google. Okay. And it's, oh, it's about it. that teacher, Arnold Friedman, and his son who were accused of oh, no. uh, uh, <laughs> being pedophiles. They had a, oh, they had a computer like uh, programming course that they would teach. They taught out of their house in Great Neck. And some, I'm not gonna get into the whole story. I'm looking right. up, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Definitely... the movie's called. It's an amazing documentary I mean, called "Capturing the Freedmans." He went to jail. He was found guilty. 
Um, Holy shit. But when you see the doc, it really seems to come off like he took the heat for it to protect his son. Gotcha. But okay. who knows? Wow. It's all bad. Uh, Let's put yeah. it that way. Right, right. Whatever Holy it is. Because they did find a whole bunch of shit in their basement, oh, you know. Yeah. And uh, But you should watch Capturing the Freemans. This is a guy I had. A, he was a, a TV studio teacher and he was a science teacher. I had him basically for four years at Bayside High. And he was every always, every I never yeah, tried anything cool. with yeah, me, but was I, was, cool. yeah. I was too old. It was like little kids. Holy fuck, so, man. Yeah. It's yeah. fucking crazy. Brutal. Wow. Brutal shit. Did you, when, you, when that first came out, later. you're like, holy shit, you're like, couldn't believe it? Yeah, a friend of mine that i uh, still wow. in touch with from from Bayside said, dude, you know, I think I, no, I was still in New York then, I think. Cause I moved out here in 89. I, I feel like it was late 80s when that, it all broke. But um, wow. uh, a friend of mine hit me up and said like, dude, did you hear what happened to uh, Mr. Friedman? And I was like, what? Did he die? Like he goes, no worse. Like holy yeah. shit. That's much and worse. I was like, holy <laughs> shit. It was in the, all the newspapers. Like it was, it was a huge, huge deal. Wow. So did you graduate? Yeah, yeah. Graduated. <laughs> graduated. Went to uh started St. John's University in uh, fall of eighty one. Wow. And um spent my whole time at St. John's. I only made it through one semester. Spent my whole time at St. John's with my Walkman on, listening to uh, first two Iron Maiden records and uh, Run DMC, whatever was out up Sick. until that point. And uh, I just, it wasn't for me. Like wow. I was already so, because I had already, Anthrax had officially already started in July of okay. that year. We weren't doing anything yet, yeah. but we were rehearsing a lot and trying to write songs. And What was your major going to be there? What were you majoring I was in? majoring in economics, okay. whatever the fuck that means. <laughs> I had, somewhere in my brain, I was going to be a lawyer, right? I'm a Jewish kid from Queens, so you're, you're either a doctor or a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Like Third place, God forbid, you're a dentist. Like, that's, like, <laughs> that's my mother's, that's Jewish mother, you know, like guilt. I remember as a kid, I want to be a race car driver over my dead body. You know, like. So were they tripping on you wanting to play music, your parents? Uh, my mom was. My yeah, dad wasn't. Right. Because yeah. I, I started that summer of like 81, I started working at, my dad was in the jewelry business in the city. So I started working as a messenger at his office to, you know, get money so I could yeah. buy gear. And uh, so school, college starts. So I would my college schedule was pretty easy. It was like nine to one. And then I'd get on the train, go to the city and work the rest of the day in in the city, like five days a week. Well, after that first semester, I stopped going to school and just was take getting up in the morning. Like I was going to school, my mother thought, but I just mm. get on the train, go to Manhattan. I was working full time now. Oh, like wow. at right at like the beginning of 82, because I, all I want to do is make money so I could buy better equipment, yeah, more equipment, yeah. pay to go make demos, whatever it took. Mm-hmm. I needed money. Yeah. You know, none of us have money. You know, I had to work. So, uh, um, yeah, but I didn't tell my mom for like months. Wow. And one day my dad finally said, he's like, does your mother know? You, you're like, what's going to happen? Like, you're supposed to be finished with your first years. <laughs> yeah. You're supposed to be a sophomore. Like, maybe you should tell your mom. I'm like, how do you think that's going to go? He's like, hmm. Not well. Like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, when when I told her, I finally got up the nerve over the next few days, and I said, "I gotta tell you something." I I kind of dropped out like four or five months ago. And oh man, the fucking scream that she unleashed wow. was like, I tell you, it's the it's the only reason aliens haven't invaded yet because that <laughs> scream is going out <laughs> through the fucking 
<laughs> galaxies and they hear yeah. that and they're like, we're staying away from that place. Um, Damn. Yeah, she, she fucking sort of literally threw me out of the house. Literally, get the fuck out wow. of my house. You know, no kid of mine is blah, blah, blah. I'm like, but I'm working full time. I'm with, your, not with like, your dad, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm working. Well, it's made, it actually made her even more angry uh, at yeah, that yeah, point. Yeah. It's not like they had a good relationship. All right. mm. Your father's okay with this? You know, I'm like, I'm working full time. I'm not sitting on my ass. You know, like I'm fucking working. And then every night I'm rehearsing. I'm fucking like, give me a break here. She threw me out of the house. I walked to the Exxon, across the street to the payphone and called my dad. He was living out in America on Long Island and. I was like, he's like, how'd it go? <laughs> I said, she she threw me out. Can you come get me? He goes, all right, yeah. He goes, you, you have stuff? I said, yeah, I, I packed a bag. And, and uh, so I stood there in the, the Exxon station for like 25 minutes and showed up. And uh, I lived with my dad for like the next seven, eight months and, until my wow. mom finally. And I was taking the Long Island Railroad in every day with him from Merrick, which was a pain in the ass because then I would have to go to back to Queens to rehearse and then find a way back to Long Island every night. It was Damn. fucking like crazy. And then finally my mom, she let me come back in like seven, eight months later. She she caved and let me move back yeah. in. I needed to be in Queens. That's where everything was going on for mm -hmm. me. So um, she let me move back in. How old were you then? Uh, 80, so I was 80, 18. 18, yeah. Yeah. So when Anthrax already started, you have the name, you haven't played any shows, you're just practicing and writing songs? I, I think we our first show is like in fall of 81. We played a basement of a church in Flushing. Sick. Uh, our bass player, then this guy, Kenny Kushner, knew somebody who knew somebody, and this church had a basement that had like a stage in it that they would use for theater productions. And, Sick. And they said, if you give us 50 bucks, you could have the room. Wow. We, we don't have a PA or anything, but our bass player had like a little PA, and so we sold like tickets to our friends, and anyway, like for <laughs> three bucks, and... <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah, we, we played this. Yeah, dude, we played like probably like ninety minutes, like because well wow. we well we were doing covers too, oh, okay. but we were we would play like obscure old priest that nobody like we were playing shit off Sad Wings of Destiny and yes, like favorite album, all kinds yeah. of obscure Definitely. old yeah. shit that nobody who was coming even knew. Right. Like if they knew Priest, they knew Hellbent for Leather yeah, maybe, yeah. but they but, certainly didn't know the older. And we were already playing stuff off the first Maiden record, and we were playing right. like Saxon. We were playing a lot of new wave of British heavy metal stuff. Wow. And uh, and we were just playing it. It's not like we were announcing like here's this next one's by you know Raven. We we would just do it. <laughs> and uh, and we had like four or five originals. And um and uh, I, you know I, I there's no there's photos of that gig. There's no audio. Wow. Um, John Connolly, who ended up being the singer of Nuclear Assault, mm -hmm. he was the first singer in Anthrax, too, because he went to high school with Danny and I. And okay. So he was the first singer. He didn't last very long. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was our first gig. And we, we, we would try, you know. We would, going into 82, we'd go to bars and clubs in Queens that we knew had live music, and you'd bring a demo, and, you know, they'd listen to your demo, and it'd be our original songs. And yeah. You know, nine times out of ten, they would say, "Go learn a Van Halen set, and you know, call us when you do that, and then wow. maybe we'll give you a Wednesday night." Because that was what was huge back then, especially yeah. on the, the cover bands. And yeah. uh, but uh, we didn't want to do that. We just kept writing our own songs. And once, once in a while, you'd get a gig. And then somehow we got a gig at Great Gildersleeves on the Bowery, you know, which was a big deal. And yeah. that was in '82. Right around the same time, I saw the Exploited, my first punk Whoa. show. Oh shit! There we go. Because now Neil Turbin was already in the band because he also went to high school with, with me and Danny. And uh, Neil's in the band. And uh, Neil was kind of a little bit more, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, 
Danny and I were still very much Queens kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, we would go to the city and stuff, but um, we weren't hanging out in the city. Like, mm-hmm. whereas Neil, he would go to shows and, like, we'd go to big shows. We'd go to the Garden and stuff right. like that yeah. or, or the Palladium. But... Um, but we weren't going to Gildersleeves or CBGBs or places like that mm. yet. And Neil was going to clubs. Like he He's would go to like Max's or yeah. he was like going to places like that. And uh, so he took me to Gildersleeves. I think it was me and Danny and, and Neil went. We went to uh, Gildersleeves to see Exploited. And I had never, I'd obviously seen things on TV. And okay. stuff yeah, yeah. Stuff, right. But I had never been in a room when a real punk, <laughs> a real punk band. Yeah. And I fucking loved that record too with Jimmy Boyle on it and, uh, and all that. And, uh, I couldn't believe it. We, I remember we were sitting up in this little like, like bird's nest perch there at, at Gildersleeves, looking down on the floor, and I'm watching what I was told was called. You know, Neil said, "Watch them. You can see them start slam dancing." <laughs> and I'm like, "What is? What do you mean?" And he goes, "You yeah. watch when they come on." And then of course the shit just kicked off as soon as as soon as they started. And I was like, "I'm going down there. That's the <laughs> fucking best thing I've ever seen." You know, and he like Neil literally grabbed me. He goes, "You can't." I'm like, "Why not?" He goes, "You have long, long hair. They'll hair. beat the shit out of you." I was just gonna ask you uh, that. I was right. Just, he goes, they'll, right. They'll, "You'll get your Such skin." A bum out he goes, this, "He goes, the skinheads, man." He goes, "He goes, trust me." He goes, "Trust me." He goes, wow. "I know, I know." And I'm like, "All right, I'm uh, fine. I won't. I won't go." It was like the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Right. Wow. And then Anthrax gets a gig at Gildersleeves. We played to about 18 people, and nobody was <laughs> slam dancing. But. uh but we couldn't believe we had a gig in the city. Mm-hmm. You know, we figured that we made it. That's a big deal, though. Yeah, it's a huge. Deal. But yeah, just always trying to get gigs, working our ass off. And it wasn't until it was like around Halloween of '82. That's when we met Johnny Z, the founder of Megaforce Records, because he was promoting a show in Staten Island, which was um, Riot, Anvil, and Raven. And we couldn't believe someone was bringing Anvil. And Raven to New York because Raven was this you know obscure new wave of British heavy metal, super underground, like proto thrash band from Newcastle, England, that we fucking oh, loved. Wow. And Anvil's you know also the proto thrash band from Toronto, and you know, riots from New York, and like who the fuck is even knows to bring these bands to New York? Like so, and then mm-hmm. we found out it's this guy Johnny Z, Rock and Roll Heaven, the record store in Jersey, and we met him that day. We got down there early and we were handing out demos and flyers. Me and Danny Looker on the line to get in, and we met we met Johnny. He was handing out flyers for other Raven and Anvil gigs that he had coming up that week, and and uh, he was so fucking cool. He like handed us backstage passes. Wow, we got to go in. I was like met fucking lips from Anvil. I handed him an Anthrax T shirt that we had made, you know, like and and uh, he fucking after the show we're backstage. He's wearing the fucking Anthrax shirt. Awesome. Like, we, and that was it. That was the start of everything. Because we, Johnny, we knew like this guy, he literally has his finger on the pulse of mm-hmm. what we think is the fucking newest, coolest shit. And then, of course, you know, he gets the Metallica demo and brings Metallica East to make their record. And that's how the, wow. really the whole thing kicked off. Holy shit. Wow. He brings Metallica to New York. We start playing shows together, and Jer- we're both nobodies. But, you know, shit. playing. Fucking Willies in Sayreville, New Jersey. You know, like small and, crowds. Um, I'd say you know not, not small. I mean, you know, better than half. But okay. but 
you know, 50,000 people will tell you they were at that show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. You know, like we played all, we played the show place out in Dover. Like we were playing all these shitholes in Jersey mm. together. You know, this is pre kill them all. You know, pre internet. Just word of yeah, mouth. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just that this, you know, this band from San Francisco and like. If you, but people knew who they were. Well, because of Johnny's coast. store, because he was ah, like, right, like right. just making copies of the demo to as you know, just giving, trying to blow it up as much as possible. Because he knew he, he's like, I'm gonna start a label, and I'm gonna put out an album. This is too good because he played the demo for every label in the city, and people would just sit there with their fingers in their ears. Nobody, nobody wanted to hear it. It was, you know, like no oh, one had right, like, right. what the fuck is this? You know, wow, it's like Motorhead on steroids. Like, what is this shit? Mm-hmm. So uh, he <laughs> said, yeah, I'll put my money where my mouth is. And he didn't have any money, you know. He had a shitty record store in a flea market in New Jersey, but <laughs> he's he knew he had the fuck. He's like, this is gonna be fucking huge, and he Damn. was right. <laughs> wow. So what 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 was Anthrax's influence at the time, like music wise, besides Iron Maiden? Uh, Motorhead, 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 and Maiden certainly. Kiss, um, for you only. Not mm-hmm. musically. Yeah, no, yeah. Charlie and Frankie were huge. Yeah. Huge. We we were at all the same shows in the seventies, and mm. um, uh, but they, I can't really say musically yeah. there, and because you know certainly you, you go back and listen to the earliest stuff, it's very obvious, like Motorhead, Maiden, Priest, Sabbath, uh, Sabbath, except yes, except yeah. Yes, restless of that restless breaker and restless and wild those two records, big influence. Um, you know all of the, obviously Motorhead. Well, they had two guitar players at one point, but a lot of Thin Lizzy, all the stuff mm. that had two guitars. Motorhead in the sense that the speed factor, the kicking yeah. it up a notch. I was a huge Ramones fan because I saw them on like the Sha Na Na TV show when yeah. I was a kid. Wow, Sha Na Na. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, I was like, who the hell are these guys? And I found out they're like, they lived in Forest Hills. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, these guys from Forest Hills are playing that music on a TV show? Like, I didn't even know at that point. I didn't know Kiss was from Queens too. Because oh, you didn't, you did know. In, in 1977, 76, like, you didn't know anything about Kiss. You, right. No one knew it was all, you know, yeah. they were superheroes. Yeah. But, yeah. uh, the Ramones are fine out there from Forest Hills. I'm like, wait, they're in a band from Queens and they get they're on TV, you know. And then mm. I, I went out. I think the first two records for sure were out by that point. And I went out and bought those immediately. The first time I got to see them was Queens College, like '78 or something like that. '79. Wow. Um, but yeah, I was a huge Ramones fan too because for me, Johnny's rhythm playing was like that's how I wanted to play guitar. But mm. then like combine that with a guy like Iomi or uh, like Glenn Tipton from Judas Priest, where it's like they're doing like some more of the palm muting and the down, like palm muted down picking instead of the open down picking. And um, that's kind of just where my style developed. Yeah. Malcolm Young from ACDC, huge right. ACDC fan too. I mean, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> so, so the first album was 84? Yeah, January eighty four came out. And so you, you were how old, how old then? Twenty four. I just turned twenty. My 20, December thirty first is my birthday. Oh, yeah, so oh, wow, awesome. yeah. So I literally had just turned twenty. When it first came out. Wow. And you guys had like had like a fan base built up at that time. No, no. Wow. I mean, just may, maybe locally a little bit, you know, because we had played gigs around New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, yeah, and stuff. But outside of that, no, just word of mouth, and uh, no but, demos or nothing. Yeah, the, a lot of tape trading. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. And we had had, I, sorry, I forgot, like in probably around October or November of 83, Johnny put out a seven inch. 
okay. of our song Soldiers of Metal. They did like a thousand of those and put those out and they went immediately. Wow. And uh and that was like even before um that was before the album was coming out. So it was kind of like a, a teaser. And um so and then we knew we were going on tour in the summer of eighty four to open for Raven across the states. And you know, we got out there first time playing west of New Jersey, you know. Yeah, yeah. And fucking kids are singing the songs and really? they're wow. buying our buying our t shirts and and they're headbanging and they're going crazy and we're seeing like this vibe that we had never seen before at shows like a, and it, not slam dancing yet because right? <laughs> i didn't know it was called i didn't even know the word mosh yet at this point but yeah but uh um that hadn't crossed over yet but the, yeah. the level of aggression with headbanging and stuff like that like by that point already because metallica had been through summer of 83 metallica raven and they crossed the states together and that really kind of kicked down the door mm, um okay. For kids to be like, wait, there's this, there's like a new sheriff in town, and mm-hmm. you know, like this ain't your daddy's heavy metal, mm-hmm. right, right. <laughs> yeah, it's a crazy, perfect combination of all those influences you said to have like its own style. Yeah, because yeah. there's nothing like that at the time. And it was really? right around that same yeah. time, you know, right around that same time too. Like all through '83, probably going into '84 is when I really like. That's when I discovered New York hardcore. That's when I started listening to Discharge and GBH. Just Discharge and GBH before. That 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 was definitely probably even eighty two because of the all that English punk stuff um, we had gotten into pretty early because we'd see them in the magazines like yeah. all the British mm-hmm. rock mags we would read, but uh, New York hardcore eighty three started seeing uh, ads in the Village Voice for all these these shows that I yeah. would want to go to because I would I would get the records I go to Bleaker Bob's and yeah. Bob's. and get stuff <laughs> yeah and then I'd see all but same thing like me and my buddy this kid Robert who's a friend of mine for the Bronx, like we were just so into it and we were like, Gnostic Front Murphy's Law. say that, yeah. Like they're fucking playing next Sunday. Like, let's just go. And I then we'd be like, ah, but yeah, but what happens like, you know, what happens if we fucking get our asses beat? Because we knew other kids that would go to shows, but they didn't have long hair. Right. And we so would crazy. Like, that was a thing. And we would and we would we would ask straight up, like, do you see any other long hairs or like I'd see like one or two, but there are like guys that had been on the scene for a while. They're like Lower East Side dudes, so everybody knows them. Wow. And uh, and I'm fucking, I, you know, I was five foot four. I weighed 115 pounds. I'm like, I, I'm just, I'm not going to go down there and get my ass beat. So finally. To see a show. Wow. Yeah, Crazy. so finally, it was, it was in 84. At some point, it might have been like, I don't know, August, September of 84. Again, it was Agnostic Front, Murphy's Law. No. I have a picture. It was October. I think it was around Halloween. And uh, and uh, Agnostic Friend Murphy's Law, I don't remember the, maybe Death Before Dishonor. Wow. I can't remember. Oh, yeah. who, I don't remember who else who yeah. else was on the bill that Sunday. But me and my buddy Robert was were like, me. yeah, okay. we we're like, fuck it. Let's just go. Here's, and we had a plan, dude. Like, cause we, I had walked past, we, I had gone as far as walking past CBGB's on a Sunday and seeing the crowd the outside and being like, fuck no, dude, I ain't going in. Right. Let's get the and, uh, So, but we, we saw the layout and then, so then we figured, all right, here's what we're going to do. We'll fucking, we'll wait for the, like everyone will go, band will go on. Everyone goes inside. Smart. As soon as everyone goes in, we'll go in and we'll just hang all the way at the back. Sure. And if anyone comes at us right. just fucking run we'll run out the door Damn, simple as that man. like but we, we gotta go we keep missing like all these fucking amazing shows like we we're dying to see agnostic front and uh so that's what we did 
we would like wait all the everyone went in this was like for each band we would wait for everyone to go in and we'd stand in the back and it was like before agnostic front went on so we're standing in the back and then everyone's looking that way they're not even on yet and it, but no one's paying attention no one's paying attention right. to us and uh and uh this guy comes walking i see him he's walking towards us this fucking burly skinhead dude and i'm like get ready dude like get ready because like he looks angry right like and i'm like all right i'm ready i'm fucking ready to go and this guy walks hey i'm like yeah he goes aren't you in that band anthrax i'm like oh fuck we're dead right i mean not only do i have long hair but i play metal too and uh and i'm like "Uh uh-huh and he goes you want to meet the agnostic front guys they'd love to meet you wow and i'm like yeah he goes all right i'll meet you here i'll meet you back come up front what are you standing back here for and i said i was like because we heard we'd get our asses kicked he goes yeah you probably will but you're with me now that was that was billy milano oh shit (laughs) damn what a sick intro right so we went up front and kind of stood on the edge of the pit i didn't i didn't even try and get into that shit at that point because i was watching i'm like watching jimmy dance mm-hmm. at that point and i'm like i ain't getting anywhere near that you know and if you even mm-hmm. got around jimmy's zone he would just fucking beat the crap out of you i'm like watching this shit go down in the crowd and i'm i'm like this is the fucking best thing i've ever seen in my life i've never i never fucking felt anything like this the energy yeah and everyone on the stage in this fucking pylons and the sing-alongs and i was like and then billy Brings us backstage after, and I'm going to show you the fucking picture after this. I got to meet Roger and Vinny, and everyone was so cool. And and I, I even said to Billy, I was like, thank you so much. And we, we've been missing shows for a year because we were worried. He goes, yeah, he goes, last year I might have beat the crap out of you. But <laughs> but I knew you had it. Now I know you're in a band, so I figured mm. why not? You're cool. Wow. We're, it's all, you know, everyone's cool. Why do you think it was so segregated that I way? I fucking know, man. I don't. I don't really know because everyone I met, because I was, I was from '84 through '86. I if I mean I was home a lot. We weren't touring a lot yet. I was at every uh, every Sunday. I was there on a fucking Christmas Eve with maybe eight other people to see Adrenaline OD. Like hey, I'm OD. fucking God. dude. Wow. I was I was I fucking lived in that place for two years, and everyone I met. Mm-hmm. Everyone was great. I fucking never met anybody that was a fucking dick. So right, I agree. May, you know, maybe it was just a thing that was kind of put out there, like they mm-hmm. just didn't want the the long hairs in the metal scene to fucking to literally to pollute because mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. what ended up happening. Mm-hmm. You know, around eighty five when things really started Crossing to cross over, over. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, you know, there's a whole new influx of kids, mm-hmm. which is good and bad, right? You know, but it it. I, I get it, you know. I get it. You'd be in. I, the, I think it was inevitable that it was going to. It was, of course, it yeah, was. Right. Sure. You know, it was. Of course, it was. Yeah. But you know, I never felt once. It, not not until later. And the reason I oh. stopped going to shows was, you know, at some point around '87, where uh, the scene had started to change, and like some of the, a lot of the bands that I had been into in the New York hardcore scene, they're even their sound changed. They have oh, yeah. sound had changed. Mm-hmm. Chromeg sound right. had changed a lot. You know, and then you know you had other bands like whether it's the Crumb Suckers who were based, they were a fucking amazing. metal band, Love and uh, yeah. a lot of the yeah. sound started to change. So then you had also other bands coming up that were part of more of like this straight edge scene and younger kids, and uh, they seem to want to separate themselves and have their own scene 
which I get. Everyone's got to have their own thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and suddenly being a, a metal band dude going to shows, I had had actually people getting like fucking kids. Like I'm already I'm an old man at this point. I'm 23, <laughs> but I'm talking like you know teenagers who I could tell were definitely listening to Slayer a month ago, but yeah, they just right. shaved their head. And, you know, and now they're wearing, I don't even know what, what would be, a, what, 87, was Gorilla Biscuits a band yet? Like, was, uh, I'm trying to, yeah, what were yeah, the yeah, bands yeah, around yeah. that time, Youth 87, today? 88? Yeah, yeah. even yeah. today, right. ex- perfect example. Like, a, a, a metalhead who just shaved his head wearing a Youth of Today shirt, getting in my face, calling me a poser. Wow. Oh, and wow, I'm like, man. dude, I've been coming here for three years. I, I got no beef with anybody. <laughs> yeah. I just come here to see fucking bands playing, hang out with my friends. Yeah. And then one night I had, Two dudes follow me home. What? On the train. I, I, I was living in Forest Hills, and they follow me on, uh, home. I get off. I, I could tell already. These two, these two kids are like eyeballing me on the train all the way. They, they get off at Union Turnpike where I get off, and they're fo- it's, it's nighttime. It's dark out. They follow me around the corner to where my apartment building is, and finally they're about 20 feet behind me, and I just turn around. And I said, you know, what's up, motherfuckers? And like, fuck you, you know faggot blah 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 mm-hmm. you know all this shit you fucking poser you know and i, I said dude you want to throw down one of you's getting your your ass kicked yeah like I, i'm fucking so come on come at come at me and i just fucking stood my ground and uh and then they just fucking said fuck you man and they turned around and they walked away but then i was like that's i don't need this fucking no, shit dude. and then we were leaving to go on tour anyway and that's like around the same time the You've band had a couple albums up. out already at this point. Yeah, Spreading Disease was <laughs> yeah. out, and, oh, and Among the Living like may have may have just. I mean, and, and I know yeah. I'm leaving. I'm leaving for a year and a half to go on tours. I'm just like, well, I'm not gonna be here anyway. But it fucking really bummed me out. Yeah, that's you a know? bummer. Totally bummed me out. And then that's even why, like, even like late '80s, and then going in the early '90s, like I. I like ne- I never really got to go back to CBGBs because it just everything had changed by that yeah, point, yeah, scene wise, and and my then I moved to California. So anyway, then you're out of there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but wow. uh, yeah, I mean that yes. time of my life, those years, like eighty four to eighty seven, and going to those matinees, man, it was just for me like a, a musical experience was just like oh fuck, I guess that would man, be like it was amazing. Like the golden age of that hardcore yeah, type right. scene, you know, was really before it changed and different yeah. generations came in, and yeah. I think it happens to all kinds of music scenes, though. I mean, it, it was interesting because it was happening, you know, this segregation was happening all in different cities around the U.S. as well. You even know, in like Cleveland, even where in you were? Cleveland, yeah. It yeah. was like you would never, those two scenes would never really match up. Like, I knew no one from that whole metal scene. But in the mid-80s, it started to really, that mixture. Cross yeah. But then this yeah. violence yeah. came into the picture yeah. as well. Like was, it was, you just had a lot of stupidity. Yeah, definitely. A lot of kids. Especially that, even on my own side. I a lot of like, kids that didn't know how to be in a pit, you yeah, know, right. when, when people would just go in there and start hurting people. and Yeah. And, but we, because we started, our shows were getting bigger, especially in New York by like 85. Like we would sell out Lemoore's a couple of nights or we would, sell out, we would sell out the Ritz. And, you know, security at those Clubs had no idea how to handle. So we started bringing, we told Johnny Z, because he he was our manager, we said, we want to have our own guys. We don't want those local crew dudes there because they're just beating the shit out of kids when they come over the barricade and they try and stage dive. And we want that to be a part of our thing. And uh, um, so back in, there was shows from like 85 through 86, like 
Jimmy put together like a crew. It was like Jimmy and Wrecking Machine and yeah, Wrecking uh, Machine, yeah. Big Charlie. Big Charlie like those piece. guys would come and work the stage for us. Wow. And handle the kids the way they're supposed to be handled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it solved all those problems. Wow. But they would see, I think, of what happened too was so a lot of like these hardcore guys, they would come to our show and they would come running up, whether even they even knew our music or not, but they would come running and stage dive and stuff like that. Metal kids are like taking notes, going like, "Wait, I never saw that. You can do that. Wow! Like, you you could. You, <laughs> how I know? Wow, that looks like fun. I'm gonna try that too. And then of course, dudes are getting on stage and like tap dancing on your pedal boards and yeah, running up, this. I running up and like this. hugging you Please. and yes. like yes. trying yes. to get your guitar pick while you're in the middle of playing. And it's like idiot. That's right. not I what. Totally watch the hardcore guys do it. They come up, right. they the do a little off. dance, and they fucking <laughs> jump in the crowd, like. And there's a style to it, and it, right. look, totally. it yeah, looks yeah. good. Don't fucking be asking for my pick mid riff. Like, what yeah. the fuck are you doing? Let me get a photo back. There's no cameras, but like, just fan out and get a pick. Yeah. yeah, so different than a hardcore show. That's damn. So, so that wow. So among the living came out with '87. Yeah. Wow. So that's. Said spreading disease and fistful of metal than that. And how are people hearing like through college radio? Yeah, you like, guys on the radio? how are people? Yeah, by that point, yeah, sure, pre- sure. A lot of college radio, and uh, you know, by that point in when when Among comes out in I, I think it was like March of '87, um, Metallica had already put out Master of Puppets, Slayer had put out yeah. uh, Rain and Blood, and Megadeth had put out uh, Peace Cells. Right. And then we all within a year, and then we come with Among. So all in one year, those four records came out, and uh, it's kind of like 1980 for the British bands because Iron Maiden's first record came out, and uh, Motorhead Ace of Spades came out, and uh, uh, Sabbath uh, Heaven and Hell came out, and I forget which uh, Priest album uh, uh, um, British Steel came out. Okay, and so it was like so. Now here we are between 86, 87, and all those records come out in one year, and. Uh, the scene just started to blow up. Metallica had already opened for Ozzy across yeah. the states. Damn. So they had exposed arena-sized audiences mm-hmm. to this new, heavier, aggressive yeah. sound, and the Ozzy fans were fucking loving it, and they're going out and getting Metallica records, and they're asking the guy in the record store, what else you got like this? Uh, dude, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. well, there's that Anthrax band, and there's that Slayer band, and there's that Megadeth band, and there's that Exodus band, and um, so it's, all, it's all that. And... Um, that's really, really how it started to spread. Like when we started, we started the Among Tour in May of 87 at the Penny Arcade in Rochester, New York. I swear I remember it like it was yesterday. And that was like a, maybe a six, 700, you know, capacity club. Sold out. Like all the shows in that run, everything was wow, sold out. Crazy, man. By the end of that year, by December of 87, we had a run of dates booked like four weeks from the end of November into December. It was going to be, it was Anthrax, Exodus, Celtic Frost, and we were playing uh, two nights at the Beacon Theater. Like we were playing wow. uh, in Chicago, we played to like 8,000 people. Wow. We were playing, it went from literally, <laughs> right. it, it multiplied by 10 over eight months or something like that. Wow, we started man. off in front of 700 people, and in December, we're playing to 7,000. It was, so and I remember crazy. standing, it was at the Aragon Ballroom. In Chicago, I think we did two Good nights venue. there. Yeah, and uh, I'm standing on the side of the stage with Charlie, and we're watching Celtic Frost. And I'm looking out, and there's like it's fucking packed for the first band, you know. <laughs> and uh, looking out to see of of heads, 
And I so like, where did all these people come from? Like, how how they how they find out? Right, it's the right. same question yeah. you asked. Yeah. Like, I mean, just word of mouth and that wave just crazy. building and building and building and building. And you know, we're just right album, right time. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. just to be a part of that. No, absolutely. I mean, I remember I was one of those kids that were very like in the punk and hardcore scene. And only, very, only. You know, but I grew up listening to like other stuff. You know, right. like Priest, Rush everything sure. but then it was like now i'm definitely punk hardcore <laughs> yeah until that change with like you said metallica bringing something a little heavier and yeah, like, yeah this is dirty clean but they're playing so well right, you know and right. i was like this is amazing but i remember seeing like what's this anthrax you know and it was like in a maximum rock and roll maybe a zine or something uh-huh. and you had like jam shorts on right. i was like Oh, that's kind of cool. But at first, I was like hating. I was yeah, the like, jam shorts were sick. Yeah, and I was like, oh, it's like bringing something, like the phrase, like new to the scene. I was like, hmm. You know, like right, interested. Right. But then it was like the Judge Dredd, you know, I was like, oh, shit, they're doing comic references. I was like, this <laughs> is fucking badass. And yeah. it, it like really grew on me. But I remember the scene just becoming like more interested in those like heavier bands, like metal you know metal bands i was like dri did a crossover album right right and i was like yeah Whoa. i was like what the fuck is yeah. going on and they called it crossover they called it crossover agnostic <laughs> front on that album where liberty and justice uh, cause for alarm cause, cause for, for alarm, alarm yeah, too. yeah, yeah, like yeah. definitely like the elements Those i was like two, what's yeah. going totally. on and then you had you know and then you had <laughs> a band like in in new york you had like well we did sod which was That's our right. thing but then you also had like carnivore in new york who, yeah. you know were yeah. like total crossover band and um, yeah, Crumb Suckers, DRI, Chromax. They came out like, I mean, Chromags. they're one of the earlier ones. Yeah, that, yeah. But I, I mean, just, they were, what's so weird about Crumb Suckers were, I mean, they were full on kids, a New York hardcore <laughs> yes. band. Yet you see these, it's like, you know, you got Chuck Lenahan with his long blonde hair. Yeah. And like, you know, like it was just, it was such a trip like that. <laughs> and and they're getting on stage and these dudes are fucking ripping Rip, really yeah. hard lead breaks and totally. like just super muso shit. And yet, you know, but full on, People Chris, Chris, them, the, Chris, the singer, you know, he was a fucking tall, hardcore singer guy. And uh, man, yeah, Life of Dreams is still one oh, of my, when we did those album, Bungle man. shows last Jesus year, we, we covered Sit There for live for the, for those God. shows. Uh, I think Dane Luker, um, I see Luker say his name right, right? Lilker. What? Lilker. 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 Yeah. He, he, he's responsible for bringing Craig from Sick of It All to his first hardcore show. Like those two <laughs> hung out a lot back then. Like, we, awesome. I've been going through photos because we we've, we've got this docu series thing that yeah, we've yeah. been running uh, online. Crazy photos, man! And uh, yeah. I just found I found a, a photo. I've known Craig Satari, him and my brother, are like the same age, so they went to school together. And I used to hang out with Craig's older brother, Scott. So I've known Craig since he's like literally a little kid. Wow! <laughs> like you know, like like kids. But I found this picture. We're in the back of Billy Milano's van. I believe we're <laughs> out on the way out to the show place out in Dover, New Jersey. I think it was like SOD and overkill in like, there's like fall of 85. I think one of the seven shows we played and in the back of the van, it's like me and Lilker, Charlie, uh, Craig Satari, Tommy Carroll, Tommy, Tommy Carroll. Carroll. Legend. Uh, and there's like one, one other, I don't think, no, I don't think Gordon was a part of it yet, but, uh, yeah, I'm looking at his picture. I'm like, well, look at Craig. He's like such a baby. That's in that crazy, photo. Man. man. Tommy, like, and cause we like, we would hang out with those guys. This is like when it was like NYC mayhem, like even before mm-hmm. straight ahead and they would do the cra- They did Danny Craig and Tommy did the crab society demo thing. Um, wow. Yeah. And it was like, wow, man. 
we all used to just hang out together. All we, the time. we listened to a lot of hip hop too. Because uh, yeah, you mentioned Run DMC, right. but obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. getting to Public Enemy and stuff, yes. but you grew up listening to both. Yeah. yeah, as much as metal and hardcore. And of course, all another, of from Queens again, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so many. Yes. But that Public Enemy song, uh, Bring the Noise, came out on the Less Than Zero soundtrack, right, in 87, originally. Yes. And so, obviously, I, I heard of Anthrax. I saw the videos. I, I, like, I love the energy of it. But it was a Bring the Noise thing for me. They realized, like, holy shit, this is... Because we had Aerosmith walk this way, obviously, Run DMC. But this was some other shit. This was like, I don't know. It was more like um, stuff more hardcore to me. Because I thought Public Enemy was a punk rock band. <laughs> Lyrically and everything about them, man. Well, that that was their ver- that was their ver- like that when it first came out. Yeah, but they name check us in mm. the song where That's they right. say "Waxes for Anthrax." That's right. Still like rock, rock bells ever yeah. forever. Universal That's right. Because we had met. We, mm. um, Public Enemy became my favorite band. Uh, I had an advanced copy of Yo Bum Rush the Show because our friend George. We had a lot of friends who worked at Def Jam. Yeah, and uh, so he'd give me an advanced tape of that. And he said, you're going to love this. You're going to shit your pants. The, the the guy, Chuck, who raps is the heaviest thing you've ever heard. Yeah. And it was. I, yeah. Instantly, my favorite band. Like, right. right, right. That song, Right Starter, still to this day. Like, it makes me want to run down the street and punch people. Just like, <laughs> I get so fucking aggro when I hear it. And uh, So for them to name check you, like, holy but shit. But so yeah, then, I mean, I instantly, I'm like, I, you know, I got to get a, I got to need I started wearing the PE shirt on stage. I can't believe it either. And, uh, oh, shit. and all that. And then, uh, and then, you know, then Rebel Without a Pause came and yep. then sonically it was just, they just, the game changer. And then, you know, Nation of Millions comes and, you know, they, public enemy didn't know they made the greatest rap record of all time, but I knew it when I first heard it. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I was always wearing the PE shirt. So, one of my buddies, it might have been my friend George, showed Chuck a picture of me on stage at Donington in 87 oh, in front of 80,000 people wearing a Public Enemy shirt. And Chuck was like, oh, man, respect, you know. And then Chuck came to see us at the Beacon in December of 87. That's when we, we, we hit it off. We became friends. And I just always knew. I said, oh, and well, and then Bring the Noise comes and they name check us. And I fucking <laughs> shit my pants. I'm like, holy shit. I, know, I was I, so I, happy. I was like. You know, when I heard bring, I, I couldn't believe it. And, and so I, I remember saying to him at that point, because, you know, we had kind of opened the door for ourselves. I know some of the chronology there was a little weird. Bring the noise, I'd already, I'd already heard it before I met Chuck. But yeah. um, uh, we had opened the door for ourselves when we did that I'm the Man song. Yeah. Like, that had, you know, come out before <laughs> that. And, uh, <laughs> but, you know, that was just us being the worst dumb version of the beastie boys because we fucking love them so much yeah and we're not rappers and you know me and my buddy john rooney wrote that song taking the piss out of the band and we the whole point of it was just trying to make ourselves laugh and be like no that's not dumb enough it should be stupider than that it was fun though i remember yeah well exactly it was a complete complete inside joke you're being detention yeah that was catchy complete inside joke and it blew up and but we had opened the door for ourselves with that. So I knew mm. like people would probably embrace us doing something else. True. But but if we do something with Public Enemy, that's going to be serious. This ain't going to be a fun song. Right. And uh, I remember saying to Chuck, one of these days, man, because I, I told him, I said, I need, I remember I told him, I said, I need your voice and my guitar in a song together. It just, I have to, mm. right. I need that sound. I hear it in my head. I need to, like, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then of course we were able to, you know, back in 1990 then is when, uh, when we actually recorded. Oh, wow. A couple oh, years later. Yeah. Yeah. 
Why we're do it take so long? You think this guys are busy and traveling, just busy and not having coming up with the idea. Mm. I, at some point, I had I, I had literally one day sort of fucking around with transposing the horn sample parts in Bring the Noise, and I just started kind of playing what I thought that sounded like on guitar. Okay, gung 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 gung, and I started. I was like, wow, that sounds pretty heavy. And then when we had we were recording Persistence of Time and. Uh, and uh, we were basically done, and you're like ready to break the drums down. And uh, I said, oh, I got this idea for this arrangement. And, uh, and me and Frankie and Charlie went out in the room and just kind of banged it out in 20 minutes, like just wow. like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and 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 then tracked it right there. And then uh, we were in LA doing that, and then had to like send the cassette in the mail to Chuck. Wow, <laughs> like like for him to hear it. And we're just like sweating for five days, you right. know, waiting to get it yet. No, no, I just checked the mail, Scotty. Yeah, there's no uploading it to your computer. Man. Yeah, like, damn. And then he heard it, and he's like, "Yeah, the sound. This is the track is slamming, man." But like, I don't know. Let me talk to Rick. And he so he mm. he played it for Rick Rubin, and then he gets back to me and he and he says, "You know, we both think it's cool, but wouldn't it be cooler if we did something new, like from the ground up? Because we already did bring the noise, mm. uh, like." What if we wrote something together? And I'm like, that would be great too, but we have to do this. Listen to that. Dude, listen to that track. Come on. It's so fucking great. And then- Were you obsessing about this for three years? Pretty much. <laughs> okay. okay. So you finally got to hear it. Yeah. Like I had the actual nerve to like tell Chuck, no, no, no. Right. We're, we're, no, let's do this. And- uh, Good call, man. And then yeah. like two yeah. days later, he he called me back and, and he said, you know, Scotty, he goes, this shit's undeniable. Let's, let's do it. Wow. And now that was- that was game changer. That was bro. the beginning. That was right there, the beginning of a beautiful friendship. <laughs> <laughs> so how fa- So how how long from that that he record it, you release it, and then make the video, all that shit? Um, we did it all. Uh, it was the track was done by well, the, that record came out in ninety. So yeah, some point we recorded eighty nine, ninety. It was all done. Was it attack know, attack of the uh, Killer Bees compilation? Yes, that that's right. It didn't come out till Killer Bees, right? It was ninety one. So, yeah. but it was done like not long after Persistence was okay. was done. But we knew we weren't going to put that track on the Persistence album because it just it wouldn't have fit right. in the context of that mm-hmm. record. So we figured let's hold it, and uh, and then we'll both release it on our records that come out in ninety one. Because uh, they put it on their Apocalypse wow. record as well, so uh, um, yeah, and then that we were, so we knew we had something cool. I mean, we, you know, for me, it was just like this is if if this is the if I never do any if, if it's done <laughs> if the fucking band is over, I'm I'm happy. Like this yeah, is the right. fucking wow. best thing I've ever done, and uh, you know, and, and everyone's like people who are hearing it are freaking out over it and like how cool it is, and. Uh, so we were out on the Clash of the Titans tour the summer of 91. It was us, Slayer, Megadeth, and Alice in Chains. Yeah. And uh, so we had a day off in Chicago. So that was the plan. That was the one day we were able to figure out where we could get the video done. Chuck and Flav had the day off. We had a day off. So Chuck and Flav flew to Chicago. And, wow. Uh, and we shot the video underneath the L tracks somewhere. I don't remember where in Chicago. But yeah. it was fucking crazy. Like people just showing up, oh. you know. Damn, and uh, it was nuts all day. One of those like eighteen-hour video shoots and just playing the song a million times. But I, I didn't care. It's the only video I liked doing in my whole life because <laughs> we were playing "Bring the Noise" with Chuck and Flav, and like over and over and over and over again. And uh, 
Wow. And it was actually Chuck who told me I I didn't want to rap that third and fourth verse because he uh, he was like, you know, you should do those other verses. He goes, it would be a true collaboration that way. And mm-hmm. and I think he might have actually said Joey should do it. And it was like, that's probably not going to work. And, uh, and he goes, you should do it. And I was like, no, I, what are you fucking crazy? I'm going to put my voice on a song with your voice. Yeah, like I couldn't sound more nasally and Jewish. Like, are you fucking like? That's what yeah, people want to hear. The fucking Woody Allen on a track with, like, fuck. And that you know, this was back then. I still had a real heavy New York accent, yeah. and and uh, and he's like, you could do it. You know the words already. I'm like, I do. He goes, he goes, you'll fucking nail it. You'll nail it. You'll nail it. And I, I mean, I I gotta. I'm I'm okay with with it. Yeah. I, I mean. Yeah. It, you know, it's. I, I, cr- fine, I, cr- I cringe a little bit, but I, th- you know, <laughs> I, I'm okay, I'm okay with it. I, doing you it live, you to do it though. Doing yeah. it, doing it live. I, I loved doing it live yeah, always, right. but doing it on a record was that it was really hard for me to do. But uh, so we shoot the video that day, and in this van going back to the hotel after we're done, Johnny Z or I, or I think it might have even been Charlie said, "Man, we should we should take this shit on the road." Did you see that audience reaction of people who don't even know? Like mm. they they didn't have any idea who we were because we were in the hood, and it was like yeah. mostly a black audience just showing up. Found out Flavor Flav is fucking doing something <laughs> yeah, down yeah, the yeah. street. Yeah, and uh, so it's like a couple of thousand people going fucking crazy, and uh, uh, wow, man! And it was like we should take this on the road. And Chuck was just like he just looked at me. He's like Scotty, just call me anytime, anywhere. Wow, I got goosebumps. <laughs> yeah, damn, and. Uh, so I look at Johnny Z. I say, you heard the man. <laughs> so then, then, like, that was in, like, July of 91. And then we were out on tour together, like, starting in, uh, like, the end of that year. We did a whole U.S. run, like, October, wow, November. Man. And then we did Europe, like, January, How was February, your audience for them? Too. They opened for you? And how we was your audience? It was, uh, that tour was Young Black Teenagers. Yeah, I remember them. Primus. What? <laughs> and then P.E. and then us. But P.E. and us, it was co-headline. Like cool. We played the same length set and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And then at the end of the night, because we would, they would keep Terminator X's. He had a giant platform he was up on. So that was up the whole time. When, you know, And at the end, we would come out and do Bring the Noise yeah. together. That was a dream for you, man. That's been a fucking it was, dream. I, right now, I just got chills when I, I think about Dude. it. Dude. It was, uh, yeah, again, just high Magical, point. man. And, and you're let me proud, just let me let me ahead. rewind one second. Go ahead. That summer on the Clash tour, which was that was the biggest certainly metal thrash metal tour ever because yeah. you had us Slayer and Megadeth right. and we're playing arenas and sheds and we're playing sold out Madison Square Garden and Jesus. we're closing that night because it was a a three band headline. Allison Chains opened it, but the three of us would rotate and they based it around in New York Anthrax will close in L A right. Slayer will close and. Right. For some reason, Megadeth got SF, because um, well, I guess oh, because Dave yeah. was in Metallica and blah blah blah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. anyway, but and also SF being the best metal audience, so it was good for them anyway. But uh, so we decided that night at the Garden, we asked Chuck and Flavor if they would come do bring the noise with us for the first time ever live as our encore oh in front God. of eighteen thousand, you know. Bro. Anthrax Slayer Megadeth fans Not one mm, Maybe, oh, maybe wait, my wait, buddy wait. George Who was out in the audience Who worked for Def Jam <laughs> Like George Solmers Not only was the only black guy The only black guy in the metal wow. Like 
or or the only hip hop head there that at Madison Square Garden that night. And Holy uh, shit. And uh, although I think Ruben Rick was there that night too, but uh, um, yeah. So you know, we get to the end of our set and the show went fucking kid. We couldn't believe we had like Madison Square Garden, right? And then and then uh, and then we you know we got a surprise for you, you know, blah, blah, from fucking Public Enemy, Chuck D and Flavor Flavor, bring the noise, and we fucking kick in. And man, if I tell you, look, I'm, I'm, I'm a fucking hardcore Slayer fan. Like I've loved that band since day one. I think for me of our generation, they're the best metal band like ever, you know, like just what they created, the thing that they did, they did it so well. And, you know, and just the, the they're the fucking best. They tore the garden, a fucking new asshole that night. And, uh. I, I and I'm I was actually worried because we were closing, thinking like yeah, we gotta yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. follow that kids <laughs> kids kids just ripped eight thousand seat cushions off and had a fucking Damn. war with them. They had to stop. It was nuts. And I'm like, wow. nobody's even gonna care. But our show went good. And then Chuck D and Flavor Flav come out and we fucking kick into that song. And dude, it was the it was the most energy. I have ever felt on stage in my whole life still to this day. What? Are you serious? I never felt anything like what happened in that room when those fucking guys walked on stage and that, that, that New York, New Jersey, like whether or not they fucking cared. All of a sudden here's these two dudes that they'd seen on MTV Uh, a million times singing fight the power. And they're up there with fucking anthrax and we're yelling, (laughs) bring the noise. And it was just fucking it's like someone fucking blue too again right that fucking cliche of blowing the roof off it literally happened and and then that's when i was like man this fucking tour is gonna be crazy (laughs) and it was it was fucking it was amazing damn so yeah obviously your fans loved them on the tour yeah yeah it was it was cool because your primus kind of hadn't blown up yet but People fucking loved them. Yeah. And then PE would come on and you'd see. So like we like we'd play like at the gymnasium in like you University of Connecticut. So it's like ten thousand people. You'd see the whole from the stage to like halfway back, you could see it was their crowd. And then you could see like our crowd, the demarcation <laughs> line from like half you know, a little bit right. of a mixture, but mostly yeah, you know, ninety percent PE fans, then ninety percent anthrax fans, and then they would be done and we would come on and they would just kind of change sides. Wow. And then, but people knew we were going to do bring the noise and nobody left. Ah. Dang. That's <laughs> so, pretty awesome oh, that's too. So cool. <laughs> wow. wow. So that, that, that must've really helped both your bands as far as careers wise, different audiences so. stuff too. You know, what? Uh, public enemy to a whole different audience. I, yeah. I, I took, I definitely for them, I think for yeah. sure. And after the first few shows, I, I was talking to Chuck and I, I said, not a lot of black kids. And he's like, oh, no, Scotty, man. He said, black kids come out if we're on a hip-hop tour. He said, but when we play with rock, because they had done a tour with, like, Sisters of Mercy mm. before. Whoa. And, like, they were out with Beastie Boys and, and stuff like that. And uh, he said, it'll be our audience. We have a we have a massive white audience, too, he said. And it's true. Like, mm-hmm. you would, I would say, I would say, at the most, on any show, maybe 10% black people in, mm-hmm. out in the crowd. It was a white audience. Yeah. You know, it was a huge white hip-hop audience. Singing you all know? the words, so, like loving it, yeah. And uh, and um, so it, 
I don't know that it maybe in that moment and that record Attack of the Killer Bees probably yeah yeah because it, it sold really well and uh, so probably had a lot of new people buying that record but I don't know that those fans carried over to the next record because we didn't have a rap song on it mm-hmm. so you know can't say for sure but yeah you know I I I don't know that it 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 certainly didn't open up because. In my head, in my dream scenario was this was going to be like 50-50 and we were going to truly cross over and like mm-hmm. we were going to get a whole generation of black teenagers into metal, you know, because it's so much about your environment. You're a black kid growing up where you grow up and where you go to school. Most of the percentages, you're probably not going to hear a lot of fucking Iron Maiden. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's yeah. just the way it is. And vice versa, except I grew up in Queens, so I happened to be surrounded Everything, by hip hop. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, but that wasn't the case, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I had this dream that, like, we're heavy metal is gonna be for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Chuck D started. I tell you, he's like laughing at me. He's like, he's like, it's a nice dream. <laughs> but that song together put you guys in a different spotlight for sure. For sure, put you a new spotlight, right? Yeah, 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 it did for sure. We had everybody asking us. Our label, we had just signed to Electra. We had been on Island Records that whole time, up to leading up to that, and uh, so now we're going to Electra. And like the first thing they wanted, they were like, "So you're gonna do another song with Public Enemy?" Wow! Like, wow, man. Well, we don't have an idea right. at this point, and you know, because we already had the record written pretty much for Sound of White Noise, and uh, and uh, like, no, probably not, because yeah. we just did that. It was yeah, kind of right. weird if we just like. They're like, well, what about just you? You'll you'll do another rap song though, right? Like, like, well, wow, we're, we're not a rap band. <laughs> <laughs> if if we have an idea that we get behind, that we feel as strong about as we did, I'm the man or bring the noise, then then the answer is yes. But until mm-hmm. that happens, you know, and uh, wow, they were like, fuck, you know, if we had bring the noise, we would have sold ten million, blah 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 blah, you know, all this shit, and like. Well, wh- whatever, you know, I'll, right. we'll, we'll let you know, certainly, if, uh, but we didn't have another <laughs> rap song. We got asked to be on that Judgment Night soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that was post, that was after Bring the Noise. Oh, it and was, yeah. They're like trying to pair us up with different who, people. And uh, who were some of the acts? I don't want to say. Cause, oh, okay, 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 gotcha. Some- but no, because our attitude was we just worked with the best. Like in facts. our opinion, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. There, for me, there's no better than Chuck and Public Enemy. Right. We did that. Anything that you're offering yeah, us right now true. is is a step down. Yeah. Well, and why do we want to? We did this on our yeah, own. Why right. do we now want to be on a record? Totally and don't sense. get me wrong, I love like five of the songs on that album. I think are fucking yeah, great. Bangers Absolutely. on there. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, man. Like I think like f- the ser- like I fuck that Faith No More Booyah, Booyah Tribe. tribe. The, yeah, the, the, uh, who's House of Pain with again? Um, Ooh, was that Helmet? Helmet, Helmet and House Ooh. of Pain, Ooh. fucking ripping track. Fire. Yeah, there's some great tracks on that record, but um, it just we were like we just did it. Like yeah, we don't want to. Totally we don't want to do yeah. it again. I um, think the next, the next, the next after that was Year's A with Biohazard Onyx, the Biohazard. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Slam, yeah. slam yeah. remix. Mm-hmm. I, I hate to jump back, but go ahead. Where did like where did SOD come into play? Like in the whole line of like what was going on? Like you're working on Anthrax, you're building right. it. SOD up. was 1985. Uh, speak speaking like oh, so yes. that. Okay. It was it was oh, when really. check my notes, son. Okay. After uh, <laughs> let me make sure Pros and text me after Joey. Oh wait. 13 minutes ago. Sorry, let me just write her back. All they good, just all finished good. that Golden Apple. All good. I'll tell her to come back. Um, How much longer do you think we're going to go? 
Uh, it's up to you, man. We can. If you have stuff to do, we can. This could be a part one. It doesn't matter. That's true. Yeah. That'll be great. We always do shit like that. So, yeah. we'll say 30 minutes. Sure. People and love part 30. ones and twos. They love oh, that they shit. love it, yeah. We do it all the time. This is fun, though. This is great, yeah, man. Yeah, it's like, um, wow. Thank you, man. S.O.D. So, Joey had joined the band in late 84. Okay. <laughs> and then, so we're already making Spreading the Disease. And Danny was where in the, like, what? Well, Danny Looker was out of the band from, uh, he got fired by the original singer neil like a week before fistful of metal came out wow. in january of 84 okay. but uh um so we're making spreading the disease and i had a lot of time on my hands we're up in ithaca new york mm-hmm. recording and uh so and i was already done with my guitar tracks but i'm just hanging out there and joey's singing and there's still leads being done and i just had a lot of time on my hands and i was i'm a big comic book guy so i i came up with this idea for this character i started drawing this this zombie guy who looked the military zombie looking guy who hated, he wasn't racist. He hated everything living. If it was, he hated flowers, he hated puppies, anything, anything that, that lives, he hates. And I would draw these like comic book strips of him, like, and hang them up around the studio. Cause I was so bored and just to make people laugh really politically incorrect. <laughs> comics of this sergeant d oh, guy logo. yeah 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 like this guy walking into the dmv and like the guy's you know he's trying to get his license renewed and the guy doesn't speak the right language so he shoots him in the head like right. and it's like like just totally politically incorrect but like i said it was a case of like i would draw a thing like you know where he'd be throwing puppies into a bag and drowning them in the river because it was like anything alive <laughs> right. he hated and uh just super dark shitty you know, comic strips and uh, a terrible artist, you know, scratchy drawings and, and all that. <laughs> and, but everyone was seemed to be laughing at them a lot. And uh, <laughs> so that shows you where everyone involved was at. Right. And um, so I didn't know how to make a comic book, but I obviously I knew how to make a record. So I started writing lyrics based around a lot of these comic strips I wow. had. Songs like Kill Yourself and right. Speak Kill English yourself. or Die and Freddy Krueger. And right. I think there was one where like Sergeant D, because Nightmare on Elm Street was all the rage and like Freddy Krueger, I mean, Sergeant D's like, fuck that pussy, you know, like Sergeant yeah. D, he kills Freddy Krueger in a, you know, one of those little things I drew. And uh, <laughs> technically Freddy Krueger wasn't alive though, so they should have been friends. Mm. Um, <laughs> but so I started writing these songs and these riffs and it very much just directly influenced by suicidal tendencies and DRI and agnostic front and AOD and uh, corrosion and all the stuff, all the stuff we were listening to. And, uh, but it was just, I guess sounding metal because it's me playing it. Right. Right. So I had like nine or 10 of these really fast, short songs written. And then, uh, I called Wilker and I said, Hey man. (laughs) Um, cause he was, I mean, he was totally into hardcore too. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and already getting into like extreme metal, like he's the first dude who ever I knew in the whole planet who had even knew what black metal was, like wow, right. and death metal. He was into all extreme music before anyone. And uh, Brutal Truth is on his bands, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I said, hey, I'm I'm writing these crazy, crazy songs. They're really like really short, really fast. I think you dig this, and I, I'm kind of stuck. It would be cool if you want to come up here. Maybe we could, you know, work on it and and write more. And this was also my way to get back together with Danny because I was, 
I mean, literally heartbroken over what happened with him in the context of Anthrax and the old singer mm. firing him. And he was my best friend. And uh, wow. so he was like, yeah, cool. And he got on a bus and, and came up to Ithaca. And uh, we spent like the next couple of days just laughing our asses off, writing these insane songs. And uh, um, yeah, we figured, all right, we, we kind of have something cool here. And uh, I remember we made a demo because we figured out, we got to figure out a way to how we're going to put this out. We got to get Johnny Z to put this out on Megaforce, right? So, <laughs> at some point, me, Charlie, and Frankie recorded while we were in Ithaca. I think Danny had gone home, and the three of us recorded because all our gear was still set up. We recorded "Hear Nothing, See Nothing, Say Nothing" from Discharge, and and um, "Last Warning" from Agnostic Front, with me singing the two songs, oh and we sent that to Johnny Z. Uh, just saying, hey, we got this idea for like this kind of more hardcore sounding, more like extreme, like metal sounding thing. And, you know, here's an idea of what it would sound like. And uh, he fucking loved it. He's like, he, his head was blowing up. He like, called me at the studio. <laughs> this is amazing. By the way, how many songs do you have? I said, we wrote like 20 songs. He's 20 songs. That's crazy. I'm like, well, most of them are like a minute long. But, <laughs> but, uh, DRI style. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, he's like, this, when could you do it? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and so, that was a, that's how it that's how it came together. Wow. So it's the day we finished spreading the disease, with the day we finished mixing that record was June thirtieth, nineteen eighty five, and then uh, on July first, SOD rehearsed for the first wow. time in the studio. Uh, Billy had come up to Ithaca, uh, Danny was back up there. So on July first, we rehearsed. We just fucking ripped through the shit over and over and over again. July second and third, we we recorded everything. And uh, took off July fourth for a barbecue, and then mixed the whole thing on the fifth. So we made it, in, you know, did it in three days. So it's like a, this almost like a joke. It's just something you came up with. It was like a character that became. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was a. It was a, just a really brutally dark comic book character <laughs> yeah, yeah. that turned into these really brutal metal songs. <laughs> so did you? Did you tour on it? We played seven shows in '85, in fall of '85. Just local, like yeah, right. us and Overkill did like a weekend together, like Jersey. Like I think we did like City Gardens, maybe and City Gardens and the wow. Showplace and Lemores, like something like that. And then we did like three shows together with Suicidal uh, East Coast again, same right, thing, New York, New Jersey, maybe Connecticut. And then the last show we played uh, was December '85 at the Ritz. It was Chromag's SOD, Wendy O, and Motorhead. Wow. Chromax ended up not playing that night because something happened with Motorhead Soundcheck and let me I don't know what happened, mm-hmm. but everything ran so late and they actually had to bump the Chromax off the show, which was a bummer. Wow. But uh Yeah, and then we didn't do anything again with SOD until the uh the new Ritz show with the Studio fifty where they reopened the Ritz at Studio fifty four. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And we did that show in ninety two, and that's the one we filmed that came out. We called it Live at Budokan because mm-hmm. we're assholes, and uh, and people still to this day, I will, I still to this day, I'll fucking do an interview, and some will, someone will say, I, I just got to ask you, what was it like to play the legendary Budokan Arena in Tokyo <laughs> with SOD? And I just go with it. I'm like, oh my, we couldn't believe it because. We were nothing, and we, you know, in Japan, we were literally big in Japan, like, you know, the wow. old cliche, and people are idiots. <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what is MOD another band, too? 
Yeah. MOD that, was the band Billy started after SOD. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Wow. I, was, I mean, I just remember at that time when SOD came out, I was like, why aren't they ever touring? Like, I don't get Because we were man. too busy with Anthrax. I, I, now, I, I mean. Yeah, going in there, right. going in at that but point. as a kid, I was just like, I had this shirt and I was like, what the fuck? And it's funny because the songs are totally outrageous. Like, I yeah. don't know if SOD, do you think SOD could come out now and people could Ooh, get the humor? Those exact songs? In this yeah. PC world? Well, no. Well, speaking of die, no. Obviously, if a, if a new band today, you know, can't you, no matter what what the story was behind it, no matter if you were saying, we're, uh, by the way, we're making fun of Nazis, right? Um, that's the, I mean, that's how I yeah interpreted exactly it as a kid. yeah. Like back then, uh, people were like, "Yo, this is really," but they weren't really questioning that hard. I remember just being like, "This oh, is back a then, joke." Yeah, yeah. Like, we got. Is- I mean, w- in the wrong way, we got attention because pretty much from eighty five on eighty five <laughs> to well into the nineties, Johnny Z's office would get. Uh, Christmas cards from white power organizations. Oh my God. Because they thought right, we right, really right. were. And, you know, Billy couldn't have been more further from that. I mean, you know, like, uh, it was Holy one thing shit. I got to tell you when, when all my, anytime we ever got to do, because finally, 99, 2000, we did tour, finally. Okay. Yeah. We got to go out and do a, a full U.S. run and we got to go to Japan and we played European festivals and all that. And, uh, I remember seeing you guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I, I like, got pictures oh, of us. You guys yeah. were in the black metal stuff. And, exactly. And uh, <laughs> but uh, um, any right. any time I ever got to be on stage with Billy, talk about feeling safe. Yeah. And feeling invincible was being on stage with Billy Milano because man, nobody's <laughs> gonna hilarious fuck with you. Stage. I remember. I think it was Rhode Island. We found out someone was literally robbing robbing our dressing room at some show in Rhode Island on that '99 tour while we were playing. Like wow. someone said, there's a dude in your dressing room. He's going through all your shit. Billy just fucking ran off. Fucking, it was so great. Like in the middle, just bang, drops the microphone. Fucking goes running in there. You could literally hear like a fucking cartoon. And they fucking, the security guy, he just fucking, he grabbed the dude, just fucking started pounding on him. I'm like, yeah, that shit doesn't happen with Anthrax. Holy shit. Wow. Um, a couple of things I want to talk about too is your Stephen King love. Like Among the Living and A Skeleton in the Closet and Lone Justice and Breathe Lightning, they're all based off of like... Oh, wait, wait, what? Sorry, what's your address? Sorry. 14... Oh, my God. Again. oh yeah. <laughs> wait, I have it. Check your text. Yeah, oh, I have it. I have it. What hood is this? Well, it's not live. Put it out there. We got, you can edit it. <laughs> he knows it's on there, it's on there, Scott? Yeah, I got it. And this guy's a fucking poker player, too. Oh, man. World Series 2009. To bring that up in... Poker geez. main event. That's I right. Love poker, and he loves Battlestar Galactica, Doctor cashed. Who. I cashed that first main event. You did? Yes, I wow. did. Wow. Came in like six thirty seventh out of 7,000 people, whatever it was. Wow. Four days. One of the hardest things mentally and physically I ever had to go through. You still play poker? Uh, just, well, online poker went away in America. It became illegal on April yeah. 15th, 2011. But who's... Uh, <laughs> who's keeping score <laughs> it was a big deal for me i i i'd literally like i i got i had gotten signed up by this poker site back then online poker site yeah. basically just i didn't even know how to play and but because they they figured well if we sign you up maybe people will want to sign up and and play with you yeah yeah so they just wanted me as a face but i said well if i'm gonna be a face i, I want poker lessons and they said sure and i started taking poker lessons with annie duke and uh Within three months, it, online poker became an ATM machine for me. 
Wow. And then I told you earlier, I'm a math brain. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's and oh, it's all about man, math. All and about if, yeah. math. Yeah. And once you learn the yeah. math and you stick to the math, you will always have an edge and you will be a winning poker player. Is it addicting? Yeah. So it's addictive. Yeah, win, I think so. Winning money? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just playing poker. And, and I am. And I am. I am. I am 100% not a gambler. I'm the guy. Like anytime the band would get to Vegas, uh, other dudes are running for the craps tables, and I'm just like going to find a restaurant. I I am not a gambler. The mm. idea of losing money is fucking anathema. Anathema. I'm like <laughs> fuck that. If I got, a, I'm not losing a hundred bucks. Like yeah, it's yeah. not fun for me. I'd yeah. rather I'll go spend that hundred bucks on comics right. or, <laughs> or, or or on booze or whatever good food. But uh, to sit here at a table for eight minutes and that, that fucking money's gone. Like, fuck that. Poker to me was never gambling, and that's the first thing any real poker okay. player will tell you. Whoa. Poker is not gambling; it's a fucking skill. It's a game of skill, and uh, and I I quickly learned that and looked at it only in that way. That's and awesome. uh, so between like like oh seven and eleven, when it, then when the government shut all the sites down, um, yeah, I was. There was a point in time where I was playing eighty hours a week online. Wow! wow. Like God. we'd be on tour. And I was playing during, this is how you want to talk addicting. <laughs> I had my laptop open on the side of the stage during shows. I would be in tournament and oh my in between God, songs, cause, and I would have my tech. I actually taught my tech like, basics, happening? and I would tell oh, them, all right, was, if, 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 oh I, if whenever the hand comes to me, just do this. Like if anyone else, like whatever, if right. someone does a big raise, unless I have aces or kings or whatever, just fold. Don't worry about it. It's fine. I'll be back here in four minutes, and then I'll get figure Holy out what's happening. Like, dude, I, I'm telling you, <laughs> I was playing 80 hours a week online. Wow. I would have at home. I had I had a big monitor. I would play these things called sit and goes, which are just like six or yeah, you know, yeah. so yeah, six people at a table. I'd play six seat turbo sit and goes, which is just like yeah, you're just playing it. It's like a mini tournament that's over in 15 minutes basically because the blinds go up super fast. Okay, and uh, I would have 15 of them open. I'd be playing like 15 tables at the same time. Like wow, it was fucking and it was amazing. So yeah, when was the last time you played? Amazing. Like for real played, because uh, I, I I play in a local home game which okay. was in person before COVID. Then we, we moved it online, but that's it's forty bucks. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's with a bunch of dudes where we just talk a lot of shit. Um, but uh, for real played, um, it's been a few years. I played in a charity tournament in Beverly Hills. That I got invited to, I don't know, maybe six seven years oh, ago. Okay, okay, and uh, it came in second out of like 200 people awesome. or something and yeah. I, I i thought my prize was a seat in the world series main event which is like that's worth 10 grand to, to get that seat and then something happened within and next thing you know they're handing me these two gold fountain pens which i'm like what the fuck am i gonna do with this like really and it's funny because i just saw that because i've been going through bins and bins of shit lately because of that docuseries thing we yeah, got going yeah, yeah. on so I've been going through old photos, all kinds of shit. I haven't opened a bin. And I saw those two fucking pens. Fucking pens. Sitting there in the, these boxes. Which it, that someone told me those pens are probably worth thousands. No, I, I checked it out. It was like these fucking hundred dollar like hundred dollar pens. Oh my God. So I said, you know what? Someday someday I'll there'll be a piece of paper that I need to sign that's important enough to bust out the fancy pen. <laughs> um these episodes they started on May third, right? They go all the way to July eighteenth. 
up into a live stream, yeah, it's, right? The, yeah, the, our docu-series is every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We're going to take off, take off Memorial Day that Monday. But every Monday, Wednesday, Friday until the live stream, which is July 17th, it's going to premiere. And I'll also say, when, when do you think this is going to be? Whenever you want it to drop, man. Oh, drop well, whenever. yeah, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We're up to Among the Living right now. The second episode of Among the Living aired on Wednesday. So each album gets three episodes, basically, cool. all the way through till the last album, Four Old Kings, and then we do the live stream. That's and where's the live stream going to be from? We're shoot, uh, it'll be out here. Okay, okay. Yeah, we're shooting it here. Is your first live stream you guys done? I did one with Bungle. Okay. The first one with Anthrax, yeah. You know, we're going to need a part two. Jesus. Yeah, wait, there's so, so many things. Because that, that Bungle record was amazing. Yeah. My son was actually turning me on to and listening to it. And that came out, when did that come out? 2020, right? During the pandemic? Uh, it came out... Um, wasn't around uh, ha- Halloween of yeah yeah last yeah. Year? yeah 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 exactly is that it's the raging wrath of the Easter Bunny raging demo? wrath of the Easter Bunny demo. And what does that mean they those Bungle guys they 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 did a demo back in like 1985 86 called the raging wrath of the Easter okay. Bunny and it was this really really almost unlistenable sound quality <laughs> demo but of these raging fucking thrash metal songs doing shit. Like playing riffs and stuff that if people would have known about them then, like if that record would have come out in 85, they would have been right there with us and Slayer and Metallica, Megadeth, Exodus, all of that. But this was just this really, really, really low quality. You could barely make out a lot of the times what's happening. And you got Mike Patton just doing all this insane shit over it, and which in a a great way, and uh, which made it really different. And, uh, um, so yeah, they decided they wanted to revisit the Raging Wrath back a couple of years ago when I I can't remember which of, but it was like Patton was at a festival, maybe it, and it was one of the bands that Lombardo was in with him, so it might have been Phantomos and uh, Trey and Trevor, the guitar player and bass player from Bungle, were at a festival with. Their band, I think it might have been Secret Chiefs or something. They were all at a show together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were all standing backstage. And uh, I think it might have been Trevor who said, man, imagine if this lineup re-recorded Raging Wrath because with Lombardo on drums. Mm. Because that's what they were influenced by to write those songs. Yeah. It was us and Slayer and Exodus and Possessed and all that like early 80s thrash stuff. And uh, so it just kind of happened. And then slowly but surely that little you know kernel of an idea just it took hold and then at some point they asked dave if he would be into it and he said yeah and then out of the blue like in it was like around july of 19 mike texted me and and he asked me he said hey uh we're thinking about re-recording raging wrath remember that shit and i'm like yeah i had a copy of it back then and uh he said yeah we want to re-record it but we'll only do it if you and lombardo do it with us wow because then it makes sense right and I was like, well, I'd fucking play on a record with you if if we were just literally making fart noises with our armpits. <laughs> like, I, I, anything. Well, yeah, he's amazing. He's, Faith No More was my favorite band of the 90s. I'm such a fucking whore for Mike Patton. Like, everything wow. he's ever done. And I fucking it's love an honor that. for you. It's I awesome. love that, yeah, dude. Yeah. So, like, I was like, yes, yes. And he goes, well, good, because Dave already said yes, too. So. Oh, <laughs> and, and that's wow. how it happened. And then I, I, I started listening to that old demo, and I'm like, hold on, hold on. I can't fucking make heads or tails of any of these riffs. How am I supposed to? And then, and then Trey and Trevor started sending me videos of how to play the stuff, and, that's, and then I got Tennis Elbow. Uh, <laughs> and you played, you, played, you played a couple of shows with them already? 
We played shows in yeah. February of 20, right before. Yeah, we had seven shows, three here Damn. at the three here at the Fonda, two at the Warfield in SF, and two at Brooklyn Steel in New York. And all the shit sold out in like eight seconds. And wow, they're so dude. funny. They're like, they're like, their manager who's been with Mike forever. Yeah. He's like, you know, we're, right? with uh, Greg Workman. Oh, okay, Greg. Workman. And Greg's like the guy. Him and Mike own Ipecac together. Okay. And uh, Greg's like, we're thinking about maybe, maybe you know, we'll do a show in L.A. Like. You know, we're thinking about doing the troubadour, and I, I said, "Well, as like a secret thing," or, and he goes, "No, no, as a show, you know, just to see, like, gauge the interest of." And I said, "Are you fuck? Are you kidding me?" I said, <laughs> I, "I'm telling you right now, as a fan, as a like the biggest Mister Bungle fan, um, I am telling you that uh, you would have to do like forty nights, and yeah, you would, man. you could play the whole year." And he's like, you think so? Because oh, yeah. they haven't yeah. done anything in 20 years. I said, that all the more reason, dude. And he goes, all right, let me let me talk to the agent and the promoters. And then he's, he's like, they're thinking about moving it to the Fonda. It's like, you know, 1,200 cap room. And I'm like, still too small unless you want to do mm-hmm. multiple nights. And Great. then he comes back. Now they're talking like three nights at the Fonda. And I'm like, I'm if we really, I said, let's just fucking cut the bullshit. <laughs> right. You really, if you put the forum on sale, it would probably sell out, but I know we don't want to do that kind of a venue. So you could probably easily do three or four palladiums. Totally. Really? If mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, of course it, that's what happened. Like the three fondas sold out in eight seconds. Wow. Two Warfields is like 7,000 people instantly sold out. Wow. And then the, the two New York shows instantly. And now the promoters are like, we want three more at the Fonda. We want three more at the... And it, they had us like where we were literally playing these three venues for a month. Like oh, the, wow, all these nights. And, uh, and the phone's ringing off the hook all around the planet. Bungle, bye, everyone, you know. And uh, I, I told you. That's amazing. <laughs> like, That's so, but the plan is, you know, like we're doing Riot Fest yeah, was, yeah. in Chicago. So we're super excited about that. And, uh, and we're definitely looking... Everyone's having so much fun doing it. And what's cool is... We could do it anytime. It's not like where we have to worry about having a record out. Like the record's out, and we could do it anytime. Mm-hmm. So at twenty yeah. in twenty two, I think I could safely say there will be more bungle shows, and right. we're hoping you know at least get to go everywhere once. Mm-hmm. And you know it would be great to go to Australia. It would be great to go to South America. You know, Mike Patton's yeah. like literally the fucking mayor of Chile. Yeah, like oh, yeah. I mean, really? yeah, oh my god. He's- I mean, he could go, Definitely. Mike Patton could book a show in probably like an arena of him reading poetry and it would sell 20,000 tickets. True. Why is he from there? No, no but, but people he, love him. Faith there. No More and just everything he's done. He, does, he, yeah. he is like the God in Chile. Oh, yeah. Like, wow. We played yeah. a stadium with them, like Faith No More. And, oh, you did? Um, like theater show just seeing them and it's just like people go ape Yeah, shit. it's crazy. Wow! He's speaking Spanish. Yeah, he you know, speaks Spanish fluently. You know, he speaks Italian like, uh, fluently. Is he from out here? Uh, he's from. They're from way up north, north. in way, way, way up north in California. Um, uh, wow! Oh God, I can't remember the name of the the night they came home. Um, Love Faith No More, man. When they yeah. came out, man. Oh my God! I can't remember the name of that that weird little town up, up north. There. Yeah, you're good with history. Eureka. Too. You have Eureka. a great. Yeah. You have a great memory, though, man. I think Eureka. Yeah. He's got a great memory, like Fantastic times and memory. dates and all that Jesus, stuff. Yeah, man. man. I said Jeopardy, and it just like I did rock and roll Jeopardy once. Slayers. Killed it. People it was didn't me. Even get a word in. It was Killed me it. and uh, <laughs> it was me and Jeff, the singer of Queensrÿche, and Adrian, the drummer of No Doubt. And uh, I figured, I, I was like, oh, I don't. Re- I mean, I knew I knew Adrian. We had met a couple of times, and and uh, 
But I thought, well, Jeff seems like a real smart dude because their lyrics go way over my head, and I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I never got that band. But, uh, right. but I, I know I'm, I'm pretty good with pop culture and trivia and whatnot, and yeah. I fucking destroyed. I had like I had like twenty something. It all went to charity. I had like twenty something thousand dollars, and I think Jeff Tate had about four hundred, and Adrian was like negative something. (laughs) (laughs) I felt bad. I was fucking. I literally answered every question for about fifteen minutes. I was like, damn. Yeah, it was fucking crazy. Holy shit! I was like, can I get on Real Jeopardy and actually make the money? Like, fucking, I'd be rich after a week. Are you a fan? You fan of Jeopardy? Yeah, always. Yeah, since I was a kid, my mom watched it, so we always watched it like eating dinner. Yeah. Well, I guess we we should end it because he's gonna go. But part one right now should be part one, right, Derek? Yeah. Great. More questions. There's so much to talk about. I know this is so great. You were going fast, but this. So much more, but I really appreciate your time. Endless Big Four stuff. And oh all. my yeah, God! Yeah. So you much. want to talk about so the John Bush years? But we can we can we can drop yeah. we can drop a part one and drop part two. Awesome! All in time with everything they have going on with their 40th anniversary, and that's right. in July, right? Yeah, the actual yeah, because that's in the live stream is July. The, the date is the 18th, but that's a Sunday, so we start doing it on the 17th. Okay, is there an Anthrax show this year? You said. Yeah, we have. One off starting in Rockfest in Kadot, Wisconsin. Okay, starting in July. One show a month, almost. Yeah, and then I think we have a show in Sturgis in August. I think it's us in Black Label Society, and then September is kind of the busier month because I think we have two Anthrax festivals in September. I know one of them is that Louder Than Life uh, in Louisville, and then I have Riot Fest with Bungle, and there's another Anthrax one maybe in I think it's Oklahoma City or Tulsa, and then. uh, October, there's a big uh, Wimmer one, the Aftershock up in oh, yeah, yeah, Sacramento. Yeah. And then November. Oh, I saw that one's crazy with Metallica yeah, and all those yeah. bands. Awesome. Yeah, and then November, Welcome to Rockville. Same thing, Wimmer same with one, Metallica yeah. and a lot of the same bands. We're you- on, and in November, the November one, Rockville in Daytona Beach, we're on the one of the Metallica days. That one's a, our day's really good too. Uh, wait, no, that's not the one. What's the one I just saw we're on? It's like. Oh man, wait, is it is it Metallica and Leonard Skinner and us? Wow. And like, I can't remember. There's one festival. We played a bunch of festivals with Leonard Skinner in Europe, summer of nineteen. Like real metal, you know, like uh, like uh, uh uh what's uh Jesus Christ, what's the big French one? Um Hellfest. Oh, uh, Hellfest, yeah. Like Hellfest. That's huge, man. Yeah, yeah. Skinner, and like Leonard Skinner and Hellfest. we're all in the hotel. I see like Ricky Medlock and I'm like, bro, like, you know, what's up? And He's like, yeah, man. It's like, it's so weird. We're playing all these. We thought people were going to hate us. And these metal audiences are loving it. And I'm like, dude, everybody loves the fucking Leonard Skinner. I mean, you fucking can't. Are you kidding me? You guys have like 20 songs that everybody at this show knows. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like, no doubt about yeah, that. Yeah. It's like, and they, they're so fucking good. They're like, just, you watch those guys play. And there's something about watching old cats, like, who just didn't. I love that. Didn't really hurt themselves too much, you mm-hmm. know, over the years with substances. And man, you watch some of these dudes play, and it's just the that fucking. I I'm no, I know I'm no one could see my hand right now, but <laughs> I'm doing like left hand guitar, air guitar, and there's just like a a greasiness and a like that just I mean and a surety and a. Mm-hmm. When you watch guys like that play, the feeling that comes from dudes, you know, that have been doing it since the 60s. And, uh, like, I, it's just so incredible watching some of those guys it is, go it at is it. It is definitely and that That fucking, I don't even know who the key, it's not the original keyboard player because he died. But 
they got some dude playing keys up there who it's I'd fuck, I would sit there for fucking 10 hours and just watch this guy solo. It's just so mind blowing how good these dudes are. And then, and they're playing 25 fucking songs that yeah. I love, like all the hits. It's so great. I was going to say you aged well. It didn't seem like you partied a lot. Cause it, I didn't, I was, uh, tell. Right. Really I was well. never straight edge on purpose, but I got, <laughs> I got so, I got so fucked up on shitty vodka on my 18th drinking age. When I turned 18 drinking age in New York was 18 okay. still. And, uh, not that, not that I didn't drink till then. I mean, I had a fake ID when I was like 15, but um, <laughs> but I never cared so much. I drink beer with my friends. I never got fucked up. But on my 18th birthday, I, I and I'm I'm New Year's Eve is my birthday, yep. so I was at a right. big party at my friend's house in my mom's building, like so. All I had to do was literally go one flight up, yeah. and I'm back in my bed and uh, drinking cheap vodka and orange juice, and Whoa. I had alcohol poisoning. For like, wow! Was oh sick God. for like four or five days, like bad sick, and uh, so after that, even this like the smell of a beer turned my stomach, and it in a way it was a great thing to happen to me because all those formative years of the band, yeah, I was f- sober. Like wow. I said, not not for any kind of creed or right. anything, yeah. just because it turned my stomach, mm-hmm. and it took years. It took years, like. You know, you start hanging out with other bands and stuff. And, you know, the Metallica guys, I mean, their nickname was Alcoholica. Yeah. You know, and the, <laughs> the Slayer guys fucking oh, raged. Man. Every other band we met fucking raged. <laughs> Even our, our guys, Charlie and Frankie, they, were, they would nurse beers. Danny and Joey back in the day, singer and lead guitar player, those guys would get a little more fucked. They would actually drink. Like, yeah. They were suburban dudes. Like, it was more so like everyone I knew in the city was like, I didn't really know anyone who partied that hard. Mm. I don't know if it was just my age group in that moment, but, uh, but you know, I, I got really good over the years as I could be, I fucking nurse a beer for three hours. Like, because <laughs> my trick was I'd have like a couple of sips, and as soon as it started getting warm, I'd go get another cold one and have like mm. one or two sips off that. So they, people think I'm drinking like multiple beers, but literally it'd add up to like one beer over the course of hours. Wow. That was my trick. And no weed or drugs and shit like that for you partying? No, I hated weed. It made me feel <laughs> shitty. As a kid, like as a teenager, it's. All my friends would be stoked. Can't wait to get stoned and get stoned. They'd have the best time. I, I would take the smallest little hit of a joint and just get paranoid and feel like shit. Yeah, I, never, yeah, yeah. I never got it. And then in the late 80s, early 90s, the last couple of times, because I always loved the smell of weed, and I'll make yeah. this real quick. Last time I smoked weed was uh, on a bus with the uh, House of Pain guys. It wow. was uh, it was on the House of Pain Cypress Hill tour in like 92. Great tour. I remember going to that tour, yeah. Something like that. And... uh we were in Tampa shooting a video and they were playing and we went down to that show and I'm on the bus with Everlast and Danny and uh, with a couple of my friends who had flown out. I was living in Huntington Beach at the yeah. time. A couple of my friends flew out to be in the video shoot and they have a six foot bong. As, of course, it's fucking of course. House of Pain. So. Of course they would. And I'm watching these dudes <laughs> and it's six feet long and like a couple of them could actually hit it once and get the smoke all the way up, you know. Oh, wow. But some dudes yeah. would like hit it and the smoke would get here and then you'd they'd cap it. Yeah. And then take a breath. And then hit it again. Eventually <laughs> the smoke would reach them. So it smelled so good. And I was all wired because we had literally flown flown like Tokyo to Tampa, which we had like endless flights, and it was like 40 hours of drinking coffee, and I was pretty wired and and the weed smelled so good. And and I was like, I should bet just if I take the tiniest little baby fucking hit off of that smoke of a bomb. It, it'll probably come I'm, I'm talking like a okay. fucking you know like the tiniest baby like thing 
and nursing uh, the bong. So I, I get on it, you know, and it literally took me fucking 10 minutes for fucking smoke to even like, <laughs> and finally, so the smoke's like leaking out the side of my hand. Right. Oh shit. And I kind of just kind of got my mouth in there and took a tiny little hit off it. And, uh, and I fucking ended up passing out and having a seizure on their bus. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And this, it had happened to me before serious? two other oh. times over a span of like three or four years, but I never connected it to the weed because every time it was also in a situation where I had really run myself ragged, uh, run down, like run down, dehydrated. Okay. Like, and I always just chalked it up to dehydration and, uh, Holy and, shit. and, and I feel it coming. I know right. I'm going to pass out. Right, I feel it like the Scary, wall is man. closing in, and uh, and I'm like, this has happened before, right? And Everlast is like, dude, you're gonna be okay. It's just really strong. Like, here, here drink this orange juice. I, I drink. Yeah, I go. It's not gonna stop it. It's like it can't be stopped. I'm gonna pass out. <laughs> and my buddy Rich, who was with me, uh, uh, he had been there the last time. He fucking runs off the bus to the venue to go find paramedics, right? Because we're sitting in the shit. parking lot at shit. this venue, and. Uh, and he's like, calm down, calm down. You're going to be... Because everyone else on the bus is high as fuck. Yeah. And now yeah. now there's me going, I'm going to yeah. pass out. I'm going to pass out. I'm going to have a seizure. I'm fucking up. They're all freaking yeah. out, right? And uh, and I remember, I remember like I stood up and Eric Everlast was standing right in front of me. And the next thing I know, I, I'm laying on the floor of the bus and my buddy Bobby is on top of me and he's like punching me in the chest. Because Jesus. he was so high, he thought my heart had stopped and I wasn't breathing. And I'm like, my chest is hurting because he's fucking pounding on me. I'm like, would you stop hitting me? Like, what happened? And he goes, you, you fucking dropped. Like, Eric caught me. Like, all of a sudden, I just fell and he, he caught Holy me. Holy shit. And they were all, I was like, how long was I out? And they're like, they're like, I don't know, 30 seconds. One guy's five minutes. Like, nobody fucking knows. <laughs> So I'm like, what? So what happened today? They're like, yeah, dude, you're fucking shaking and your fucking tongue with like, you were fucking full. We didn't know what to do. We like, we put you on the couch. And then so it was like, put him on the floor, put him on the couch. You know, like (laughs) someone stick something in his mouth so he doesn't swallow it. Like they were, they're all out of their minds high. Yeah. Holy shit. So I look at, I woke up before they stuck anything in my mouth, like stabbed me in the throat or something. Trying to save you. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, so I start coming to, Two minutes later, there's like paramedics, like you know, you okay? And blah 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 blah. And uh, and, uh, and Eric's just like he's fucking white, like he's whiter than I am yeah. right, at this point. Like no one's high anymore. I I fucking scared the highness out of them. And uh, he's like, dude, he goes, you fucking. I saw you on the floor. You turned white. You were fucking having a seizure. I fucking saw the New York Post headline. They're ready. Scotty from Anthrax dies on House of Pain bus. You know, exactly. just like. He's like, dude, it was like, oh my God, we didn't think, it, we thought you were just fucking with us. And, Holy and, shit. Uh, oh my God. This is my question. So no weed wow. for you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I, I, I went, I went in the ambulance, went to the hospital and uh, they checked my blood sugar and they said, dude, like when's the last time you ate? I'm like a day mm. ago, you know, and they, Damn. they squeezed this stuff under my tongue and that helped. And okay, I, I saw the doctor, you know, they checked me out in the emergency room already by this point I'm feeling okay. And. And uh, I told the guy, I said, you know, I, I did. I, I took a little hit of this weed they had on the bus. And uh, and this is the third time this has happened to me. He goes, well, you, you know, where are you from? I said, I live in California. He said, you should, you know, go tell your doctor and you should probably get checked out. You know, you might have an allergy. You might, you know, obviously something's going wrong. 
I highly recommend you don't smoke weed again. I was like, I don't even like it. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. the third time in like the last four or five years even that I've had it. And and uh, he goes, uh, he goes, well, do yourself a favor, like go back to your hotel, order a cheeseburger, and go to bed. Like you really need some food and you need some mm-hmm. sleep. And I was like, that's and it's exactly what I did. And wow. woke up the next day, felt fine. We did our video shoot, but I did go home. Two days later, I was back in in L.A. and uh, told my doctor everything that happened and. Uh, next like two weeks, every test you can imagine was run on me. They did the epile- all the epilepsy tests and wow. they blink a strobe light in your eye for fucking 10 minutes. Yeah. I'm like, I've been in a metal band at this point. I've been touring yeah. for about eight years <laughs> with strobe lights. If that yeah. was the cause of it, it would have happened already. Be dead by now. Yeah. Like, and, uh, <laughs> but everything, tons of blood tests and they, they came back saying that I had an allergy to THC. Whoa. Mm. Yeah. That's it. That's it. And okay. uh, yeah, I've never even tried, never like, heard of that. even like when CBD became this yeah. thing in the All last, right. like, I'm even afraid, even when someone tells me it's 0.0, I'm afraid. Yeah. Because, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah right. I'm, afra- I'm, I'm scared. I, I've even had, like, I, I, I offers to represent some of these companies. And right. I'm like, of course not. Yeah. So, you know, but you know what? It's actually given me the kick in the ass. Now I'm actually going to see an allergist about just to see if that's something that still even mm. exists in me because mm-hmm. I should probably know this. Like oh, if yeah. I still have I like this know. weird. Yeah. So long ago. Yeah, because right. sometimes allergies actually change as you get older. And, yeah, I was allergic right. to aspirin as a kid, but now I can have it. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is going to be part okay. one. So we, so we still, part two, dad, parenting, music, oh, yeah. moving yes. to California, yes. moving to Cali, yes. everything yeah. you're involved in. Dad. Dad, I, I, I love that Dad, ring. Right there, man. But Scott, thank Great you so much frog. for your time. I really appreciate it, thank man. Thank you. Thank this you. This is part one with Scott Ian, and part two will be coming soon. That was an hour and 50 minutes. Nice. That was great, though, man. Boom. Thank you so much, Scott. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the One Life One Chance podcast. I appreciate your subscriptions. Please rate, review, spread the word, share it, whatever you can do. I appreciate it so much. I'm having so much fun doing this podcast, and I appreciate all the support. You guys are fucking awesome.